the jury. The prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in northwest Pennsylvania, where it's a balmy 85 degree. No, it's not, but it's warm for a spring day. All right. Anyway, northwest Pennsylvania, that's where we're at physically. We broadcast live each and every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, as heard right here on Global Star Radio Network. That's the network to be. Global Star Radio Network, folks. In fact, it's we're linked to Global Star. Just Go to HagmanHagman.com, and you'll see right there in the middle of the page. Folks, uh, again, weeknights, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the place to be. And, of course, you can see us live on YouTube. Look, we're on. See? And, and here's the thing, folks. Have you, have you watched this and see, have you watched our, our shows when episodes and you see the camera going, ooh, 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 ooh. Does that make you a little bit weary? Does it make you a little bit blurry-eyed? Does it make you want to go into convulsions? It does me. All right. Now, see, uh, everyone out there thinks, well, you know, we'll just put on auto fo- or manual focus, okay? No, 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 no. Now, see, you, you don't understand. Here's the fix for that. Six grand. That's the fix to that. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, Boy, you know, I just, I, I was looking at these cameras, I was watching the show and, and, uh, which I don't like to do because I don't like to see myself on, and I just, I, you just don't, I, I don't, I don't like to listen to myself or, or see myself. My wife is in the same camp, by the way. Anyway, um, yeah, so we're working to, to get the funds to get the tower to hardwire all of the cameras that we have around here, uh, and the, it's a special build. It's not something you can go to Best Buy and get. So uh, I, I want to mention that because, you know, we're, we're sometimes we get as frustrated as, as you do when uh, little things. We, we notice little things like that. And um, to some it's not so little. To others it's uh, you know no big deal. But it's something that we are aiming, aiming to fix, fixing to aim. Folks, we've got different websites, hagmanandhagman.com. That's our flagship site for the show. In fact, you go to HagmanHagman.com, and you can watch it right off of there, or you can go to YouTube, our official YouTube channel. And let me make a plea to everyone out there. Subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. And here's why. Um, the more subscriptions, the more people who subscribe, and I was talking to somebody behind the scenes at one of the national alternative media talk shows they've got <laughs> the most subscribers of, of any alternative media channel in, in, in the, on the planet <clears throat> and, and, and I, I said well now I asked him I, I said what's the benefit I mean if you if you've got a million subscribers or half a million or 250,000 or 100,000 is there a difference in terms of penetration the media media penetration and absolutely there is 
for example, someone could could subscribe to the show and never go back, but yet it's that person's registered as a, as a subscriber. There's uh, there's metrics that are used, and I don't know, and it wasn't explained to me very deeply, but uh, the metrics it puts you in a in a different category. So, for example, if we have a special guest on, if we have Pastor Langford on, if we have Greg Jackson on, or, or whatever, it, it doesn't matter who we have on or your calls even. It affects how our program is rated and found on YouTube. Now, we've gotten emails saying, you know what, uh, they switched the stuff, they, they switched the way we're able to access you on Roku, YouTube, and and that that's true. This will, the more subscribers, if you subscribe, that will that will offset a lot of that, that, that those games that are played. And if you notice too, on, on the number of live listens, the number of live list or live viewers at the time, and this is something, uh, Joe, come on in here because we were watching this. These numbers are are not right; they're incorrect. Yeah, and I don't know I mean, why that seems to be. It's not just a YouTube problem; it's across the board. Yeah, um, just in, as an example, you know, uh, we could have a thousand live listeners at any given time on YouTube and after the show's over you refresh the video and it will say 450 same thing with um, BTR right yeah BTR um, uh, there is no accurate numbers count from what we can gather we can get rough estimates but not accurate uh, you know not a, a a completely accurate numbers count like we would want and 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 that's that's a problem too. Um, they they mess with your statistics, your metrics, and we do monetize our content. And the reason we do is because it offsets our operational expenses. And people think, well, you're just you're you're using a free platform. Well, satellite's not free. Um, the the aggregate of the cost that it costs us from from production to well, to, I mean, the average cost, you would not believe how much a, a three hour show costs us to, to, to do, okay? Um, it's more than you, it's more than you think. Um, and, and I just want to, this is not, I, I guess I really wasn't planning on going here, but the reason I mentioned that is because what we're trying to do now in preparation for Dallas, we're, we're trying to put some things together that you guys are going to be really pleased with in our absence. Now we're, we have to leave early. When I say early, I'm not talking about early in the morning. I'm talking about days early. And that's why I sweat when I look at the uh, uh, timer, the the day timer on the, um, you know, how many days to Dallas, because we've got to leave four days in advance of that. Actually, we've got to leave on Monday, Monday Monday, Monday afternoon or morning or something. I don't know. Uh, So we're going to be traveling during the showtime on Monday, but we're going to have something for you on Monday that we're putting together ahead of time. It's just going to be fabulous. And we may be able to, I'm not exactly 100% sure we might be able to interact on Monday, but uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't know. Perhaps we can we can do a live show Tuesday and Wednesday. And then, um, of course, uh, Thursday we've got a, a conference before the conference with the speakers, and then Friday is the conference Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday we'll be traveling back, but we've got we're gonna be gone for an entire week from our studios because of meetings that we've got, and also there's a couple of uh, 
I'm going to just be flat out honest with you. We we've been uh, we've got some meetings with some people in Texas that have information for us about a number of different things. And, and I think you I think I think upon our return, it's going to be pretty interesting to hear the developments that that, that we bring to the table. I really do um, about a variety of subjects, not the least of which is some Kennedy archive information that. It's not available to the public, but we are going to have the opportunity to get to take a look at some things that are not that that have been rumored to exist, but they're in the hands of somebody that. Uh, well, we'll tell you about it when we get back. I just want to give too much away. So that's the deal there. Now, as the program unfolds tonight, we got some news for the first hour. In the second and third hours, Chris Pinto, folks, the Georgia Guidestones, Chris Pinto. What you you've heard it, and I let me just bring everyone up to speed. Have y'all heard about the Georgia Guidestones? Y'all know about it, right? You think you know, but I mean, at least I thought I knew about the Georgia Guidestones, what they are. Now, if you never heard of the Georgia Guidestones, go ahead right now and and just keep your you keep your window open for the show. But go ahead and search the Georgia Guidestones. It's on it's on Wikipedia. Of course, everyone believes that, right? Well. Very interesting information by Chris Pinto tonight about the Georgia Guidestones. That's where we're going to start. Because you see, the ten laws, commandments, or whatever you want to call them on those Guidestones come into play right now, today. You know, in terms of, I mean, they come into play. We need to pay attention to what's on those guidestones because the very the very things on those guidestones are, in fact, well, you're watching those plans unfold. And we watch uh, the um, uh, Chris's movie on the Georgia guidestones, and I'll get the title documentary. Here. Documentary, yeah. Um, <coughs> and it's not titled Georgia Guidestones, but it is uh, Dark Day. In Elberton. In Elberton. Yeah, Dark Day in Elberton. Dark Clouds Over Elberton. That's right. The true story of the Georgia Guidestones. And we watched this, what, about a month ago here in the well, studio? Well, yeah, yeah. And i got to tell you this, okay. Um, you know, I, I can, I, ever since I, I don't know who said this, haters will hate. <laughs> I, I, I talked to Chris Pino, the uh, the guy behind the, the man behind the, the Georgia Guidestones, the uh, documentary. And... Um, Just like everything else in the world, and, and folks, if, if you're a guy out there and you got a job and, you, and you've been around the block a few times, right? If I'm describing you, you know that you you get into a project, and and you bring in people with you into the project, and you say, okay, well, you know, why don't we do this? And everyone's on board, and everyone's cool, and everything's going well, and then something happens where. Oh, there's a petty disagreement or something, or somebody doesn't happy with something, one thing or another, and you know, pretty soon there's a website dedicated to nothing but hate and spewing BS. Right? We we're all we've all been there. And the higher you go, the more people you got you got sniping at you. And even higher than that, then then you got people suing you. And it doesn't matter who you are. It's just the way it is. 
And and you have to have a, a thick skin. Well, that's kind of the, uh, Chris Pino's position, you know, is where he ended up. Where, um, oh, people, if you watch the, have you watched the documentary? There's people that have really tried to tear him down and say, well, his tactics were less than honor or less than uh, ethical in dealing with certain people in the documentary. <clears throat> and I've got to say this: that those are the very tactics that uh, we've used now. To, when I, when I guess I don't want to give away the too much about this, but of course, you know, um, he was able to get an address. Essentially, what happened was he was given access to a suitcase or a computer case, and in the computer case was correspondence from the man known as R.C. Christian. And of course, the return address was visible. The camera operator was actually in him. They both were able to to get the you know isolate the address of the of the return address and trace it. The, the fantastic detective work, trace it back to the actual sender. And through that, and through that process, and Joe and I have done this countless times, through that process, we were able, or the, they were able to identify the actual man behind Georgia Guidestones. So, now, of course, somebody took objection to that and said, oh, you know, that's really, that's really low and, Come on, man! Look, you've got a, a multi multi million dollar monument in Elberton County or Elberton, Georgia, Elberton County. I guess. Um, you know that's saying that uh, you've got to maintain a population of under half a billion people, and it has indications, ramifications, historical and uh, prophetic, really implications and such. So is it is it in the best interest of the, of us, you and me, to know? Of course it is. So, I mean, while some people say, "Well, he didn't do," you know, that was unethical the way he did it. No, 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 no. I think it's unethical in my view. Uh, the other way for for people to say, "Well, no, they should have respected the privacy." There was no actually, there was no disrespecting of privacy. It was just it was just luck. In in one sense, and, and persistence in another. And the reason I bring this up is because what we're going to be talking about with Chris Pendo tonight is not just the Georgia Guidestones, but the plans of the New World Order to, and the powers behind the powers to, 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 to bust heads, what they plan on doing, what the implications are, what the possibilities are. And that's a big deal. If you care about your kids, care about your grandchildren, it's a big deal. There's a number of videos on his site, and uh, he also has a, a podcast. Yep. Which uh, something that I just learned about today, and trying to find in a newsletter as well. The website is. I'm just going to spell it because I don't even know. No, it's Adullam. 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 A D U, L L, A M, Films dot com. That's A D U, L L. AMFilms.com, Adolam Films, and his latest one that looks like Bridge to Babylon. Yes, he's uh, working Rome, on ecumenicalism and the Bible. Uh, looks like a very interesting uh, video. And then there was a series that he has Dark Clouds over Elberton. Right. And then what's right. this one? Codex uh, Elementarius? No, 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 no. Codex Synod. I can't even pronounce. That's it. fine. The oldest Bible or a modern hoax. This is a, a oh, multi oh, you know, set. That's a very interesting. You know, we Do we, we talk about Bibles. No, okay, we don't. But I, I, I talked a little bit about that. You know, we, um, I've got 
I don't know, I must have 50 notebooks, spiral-bound notebooks of information. And in one of my notebooks, I've got uh, really the uh, the history of the Bible. And, and uh, Pastor Stephen Anderson has done a, just a tremendous job documenting the history of the current Bible and the King James Bible and the new King James Bible, which is really dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. Please understand me when I tell you this. What was it the New World Order uh, Bible version? New World Order? Yeah. Well, the New King James Version of the Bible, and, and some people say, well, there's no difference. There's a huge difference. You know, it, there are people out there who would never touch, for example, a New International Version of the Bible that would use the New King James Version of the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, the words that have been substituted have been omitted. And I've got the facts. Again, they're in my office. I didn't, this is all non-scripted, so, you know, we don't have, but, but just to understand the, um, the changing of the words. And some people say, well, the New King James Bible is, or I'm sorry, the King James Version of the Bible is not accurate either. Well, true. You can go back and back and back and back. And what, Anderson does in his video, and you can you can look it up on YouTube. But he's done what he has done, and he talked to the to the in his video. He was in a room where all what was it, Eric? Uh, uh, basically, every Bible that was ever in existence, right? Okay, he doesn't have his mic on, Eric the Tech. Anyway, um, just to see that literature. And to appreciate the historical aspect of that, to me, wow. But you, you, the Geneva Bible, for example. Now, you, you might have a hard time, obviously, understanding the words. I mean, of course, a lot of our kids today can't get past 140 characters, so what do you expect? But is the importance of, the, the, here's the importance. The importance of that is this. We have to go back to, to, close to the source as, as we can. And obviously not everyone's got, got access to, what is it, Joe, the the Hebrew, uh, uh, you know, the scrolls and such. The and, concordance? No, no, the the actual, the actual uh, oh. you know, yeah, the, skin. Yeah. Uh, okay. And, and and this is interesting, too, because the, uh, the Tom Horn had, uh, pr- had provided a lot of great information. I've got his series, uh, the Septuagint, and many other things. But, but, the, but the bottom line is this. Um, we need to get the word out. Yes, the King James version of the Bible may not be perfect, but it's certainly much more accurate in its translation than the intent of the New King James version. And I, I got an email from just a great uh, person, and I'm not going to violate any confidence as a listener saying thanks for standing up for you know at least that you know in terms of you know the, the uh, differences in, in Bible translations. And such, I do believe that that the Joe. I don't know. I, I just. What do you think? I think some of these translations have been. Well, when you get down to the information that that Stephen Anderson provides in his documentary, you'll, oh, yeah, you'll see. I mean, it goes through how many times you know certain words are removed from heaven or hell yep. to uh, uh, Christ, or um, I mean, it's it's a. You'd think with the the numbers of. of the words that were changed, it's a totally different read. It's a totally different way. Uh, once you understand, and the new international version, the NIV, is a copywritten version, and it has a, a dark history behind it. Very much. 
And it's intentional. I mean, these people, what they have done is change the uh, word of God. And you mentioned the Septuagint. That's just a, a different... Um, uh, yeah, I it's, know. It's the Bible put together in a different way. And I don't exactly... Well, I've, I've read up on it, and it it's not... Um, I don't know what in what it's category the, you call it. It has different names for the some of the Old Testament prophets, uh, but they do list the actual, you know, names. Maybe it's more original Hebrew, um, closer to the original Hebrew. Well, I'm not sure, but with the concordances out there today, um, you know, from the Geneva Bible for 1599 to the 1611 King James Version, um, you get to learn the differences from you know uh, what is changed from these new uh, international versions, these new King James ver- versions. And I, and I believe you can find Pastor Anderson's breakdown of the I was just different Bible versions on YouTube for yes. free. Yeah, for, you can. Uh, he, he's, he, okay, if you're, if you're watching this via YouTube, uh, Eric did it. Thank you. I was looking for it just as you were saying it. Well, the Septuagint, the Septuagint is really the translation of the Hebrew Bible in some texts that are associated with that into Greek. Now, that's a, really the primary translation of the of the primary Greek translation of the Old Testament. So, but uh, that doesn't matter. Um, at least not in the context of this conversation. What matters is that we have the most accurate Word of God that, that we can, and, and all of the translations have flaws. Really, they do. But but some are more overt and some are intentional. I believe that the subtle nuances of the New King James Version, I believe that that really wraps you into it and draws you in. And, and, and you know, by omitting, for example, the heaven or hell, those words in certain areas, it conforms to what we are going to see, and that's a new world order religion, this new world, this new state religion that we're going to see. And you know something else, and, and, and this is something that um, the news, when you look at the news today, this all fits with uh, everything we're talking about fits, I believe, with uh, the current events. Because when you look at current events, what, 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 what's the landscape out there? You got everyone talking about Donald Trump. And, and one one thing I, I want to mention about Donald Trump, Joe, and, and you chime in on this, and I didn't see this, and um, it was to, it was to, we were talking about the convention. Was that last night or not the convention? The uh, the 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 where he had the steaks and the wine and the bottles and all that no, stuff. It was this morning. Is that yeah, this we were morning? About that. It feels like it was, you know, a week ago. Um, so I, I had read somewhere, and I believe it was either on a conservative or a progressive internet forum, where, um, or I don't know, maybe even Glenn Beck said that if he would just would have invested the money he got from his inheritance, basically, he was in, he inherited a lot of his money. If he would have just invested that money in the regular stock market or in normal investments. He'd be worth like ten times, or some exponentially more than what he's worth right now, and and you know that really sounds good, doesn't it? But think about this. That to me, that is such a a. How dare you? How dare you? Whoever said that? How dare you? Because here's what I'm thinking about this. How many jobs has Trump created? Created quite a few, hasn't he? I would say yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you you invest in the stock market. Yeah, I understand there is job creation from an investment into the stock market. Okay, I I, I understand all of that, but I'm talking about 
when you own a business and you have to hire people and you are supporting families. And this is kind of what, what the Hagman Hagman Report is doing as well. We are growing to the point where we're hiring and supporting families. That's a lot different, isn't it, than, than a mere passive investment? So, in that respect, I do believe that uh, the disingenuous um, uh, cutting up of, of Donald Trump or the disingenuous uh, nature of that statement to me tells me that, that, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that don't understand really what's going on. Now, Ted Cruz came out today and said he'd have no problem with a contested convention over the summer, and that's going to be held in Cleveland, not too far from us, and we, we will be represented there just to see the what we believe to be the uh, the fallout from this. In the event, however, that neither he nor Donald Trump secures enough delegates before then to lock up the Republican presidential nomination. Folks, I believe, and Joe, I don't know, you've been doing a lot of research, I believe there's going to be a lot of hanky-panky being played behind the scenes to torpedo Donald Trump. His, uh, his, I, I do, you know, it doesn't matter. See, well, you uh, won three out of the four primaries. Right. That were, I think Idaho was the only state that, that Cruz won. Um, but yet, it, it's, you've got people backing Ted Cruz, and you've got this huge rift, chasm, among families. I have heard from people via email, and I haven't responded to, I don't think any of them, but I appreciate getting them how many people in their families now have been, their families are torn apart ideologically saying, oh, I'd never vote for Trump. And, and it got to the point where, it's getting to the point where families are turning against, family members are turning against family members. I uh, really? I don't know. Folks, what do you think? I mean, Joe, this, I mean, this is not over. Let me see if I can find the email I read earlier. Um, this is really incredible. There was a really well-worded email <coughs> about the what's going on in the... Uh, here it is. Wait, wait, wait a second. While you're looking for that and while you're getting that ready, I just want to mention, I want to, I want to welcome... Um, I do want to... I want to welcome a, a company to our marketplace, the Hagman Christian, Christian Marketplace. Now, we, we haven't been talking about this. We're, we're still pumping this up, getting this ready to go. We believe that this is going to be the place for people or Christians can, can do business with other Christians knowingly and saying, you know, uh, hey, let's say you're in the market for business cards. I don't know. You got, you got choices. You could go to Vistaprint or in this case or, or whatever you can go to. Safeguardmidwest.com. Safeguardmidwest.com. I know the owner here, Brad. The owner is Brad and Megan Hop. Great people. Um, just just joined the the Hagman Christian Marketplace. Uh, Megan Hop and Safeguard Business Printing team up to meet all your financial or all your business forms and promotional item needs. And it, a lot of things that you saw earlier, the shirts and the that we have in the hats and such, U.S. made by a Christian owned company a part of our Christian marketplace. I just want to welcome Megan Hopp and Brad Hopp and Safeguard 
safeguardmidwest.com, safeguardmidwest.com to our Christian marketplace. And thank you for your belief in us and your trust in us uh, in that, uh, because we really, we really want to see, and that's one thing that we are really going to be pushing is the, uh, to, to have grow is the Christian marketplace, because I do have a feeling, Joe, that pretty soon Christians are going to be ostracized. And, you know, if you have a certain belief, you're not going to be able to express it. For example, uh, let's say you want to have an anti-abortion shirt. No, I'm not talking about an offensive one or a graphic one, just saying pro-life or something like that. I can see a day when that's going to be, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to get it printed. I, I can. Anyway, and, and go ahead from here, because I think which, this is kind of a, this to me, which you're, which this is a quote from, uh, yeah. John McTiernan, uh, who's been a guest on our show from an article written by a Carolyn Glick sent to us by a John H. And in the article, um, this Carolyn's going through the reasons why they do or don't like Donald Trump, but John McTiernan is quoted as following. I will comment later on the election because what is happening <laughs> is the elite control over America is being fully exposed. There is a political revival taking place, but without a spiritual revival, it will not last. America is under judgment for the massive killing of our babies and the open promotion of the homosexual agenda. Without national repentance and turning to the Lord, all political moves are doomed. Hmm. And uh, that's interesting. The end of quote. John McTernan, great, great guy. Yeah, and he's again, been a guest on the yeah. show before. Um, and, uh, I mean, right on the money with that quote, because it's the truth. And, you know, you you mentioned the, the families that were being torn apart. Torn apart. Because of political differences. Well, how much worse will it be for... Um, I mean, and I see people like, uh, I believe one was Whoopi Goldberg saying, you know, oh, if... Uh, Donald Trump is elected president. I'll move to Canada. All these people threatening to move out of the country if he's elected. It's kind of like um, what we saw with conservatives with uh, Obama. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and I understand. I look. I understand strong ideological beliefs and strong religious beliefs. And when I say religious, I guess I mean spiritual. I understand that, but you also have to temper those. With a, with a measure of understanding when you're talking about people who are not awake. In other words, it's, I believe we are here to minister, I suppose is the word to use, and, and reach out and minister to, to others, not throw them under the bus because they, they're not in agreement with us. I think we have to, we have to extend some level of understanding as we're talking with people and saying, look, here, let's discuss this. Not just throw them under the bus because they don't have the same ideological beliefs that we do. Now, I, obviously, I talk a good talk when when it comes to you know going head on head with head to head with let's say a progressive liberal Marxist idiot. And, and by definition, you look it up in the book. I'm talking about idiots, and I'm not trying to be. Well, yeah, I mean it's just very matter of fact. If you look look up the definition of an idiot. You'll understand what I'm talking about. But when you're going head-to-head with somebody who um, is, in fact, so far to the left that it's they're, 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 um, they're irrational. Oh, man. So, okay, I get that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that you've 
that that you perhaps share your dinner table with, and they say, "Well, look, we're uh, uh, we think uh, Trump is terrible," and then you you see friendships being lost over it, and this is how, and I believe this is how uh, wars start, and wars start within the families, and it's with civil wars. Now I'm talking about the civil war it starts within the family, and it grows, and then you have this polarization, which is which is exacerbated by people like political candidates. You know, insert name here. They're they're all guilty of it, whether it's them or the the forces, the people, the, the their associates behind them. But this is what we're seeing happen today, and it's only going to get worse. And I do believe if if Trump does become elected, I do believe that there will be an immediate backlash. But even before then, I believe it's there's going to be a backlash against uh, Donald Trump and against the people, his supporters, and it's being fueled. You can see it right now being fueled by media personalities you can you can pe- people who have been joe people who have been on our side in the past when i say on our side i'm talking about attempting to you know to be total truth tellers and saying look this is look at the new world order look at what's happening here look at the large objective and all of a sudden their vision instead of instead of seeing the bigger picture from our cruising altitude they're on the ground with a microfine uh, uh, magnifying glass. Okay, that's how that's how much their their large scale vision has diminished, and that of course is will in fact uh, create some uh, create some issues. Now, uh, Joe, I know you saw this. Uh, Lynch, Department of Justice has discussed whether to pursue legal action against climate change deniers. Okay, think about this. I did not see that. Okay, this, folks, here you is... Know I did see, though? What's that? Lynch indicates the Department of Justice is not required to charge Hillary Clinton. And, okay, now this is why history is important. Go back to 1970, really the, the early part of the 70s, and, and look at Watergate, and look at how the, this was handled. Of course, you had the Saturday Night Massacre with Nixon. Folks, you know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to hit some high points, of course, and uh, the Department of Justice being just in, in the chaos. But, yeah, Lynch is the linchpin and the lynch mob to certain things going on today. With the respect to the climate change deniers, here's why this is important. You know, somebody may say, Oh, I can, you can see the climate is changing. When you've got 75 degrees up in northwest Pennsylvania on the 9th of March or a period of, a period of warm weather, or you've got sudden climate changes, we know weather has happened since day one on the earth. However, has it happened like this before? We, we do know, you know, that I, I mean, you've got to factor in a certain amount of, of man-made, uh, you know, well, I mean, man is responsible for a certain amount of things. However, I don't believe man has the power to change the climate in terms of everyday use, whether it be through energy, you know, coal, that kind of thing. Uh, because I do believe that uh, God has provided for us on this earth, and God has built in safeguards. Now, having said that, that's not even the issue. Climate change is not the issue. Here's what the issue is. It's the freedom of speech. It is the thought police. It is the disagreement. If you disagree with the administration, and I don't care who's in, in that seat, or the, let me just back up. If you disagree with the globalist agenda, we, meaning they, will come after us, you and me. They'll charge us criminally. 
This is what this is telling me. Lynch acknowledged Wednesday, that's the day that there has been discussions within the Department of Justice about possibly pursuing legal action against so-called climate change deniers, and the matter has been discussed, she said. We received information about it and have referred the information to the FBI to consider whether or not it meets the criteria for which we could take action on. Now, think about, please consider this this very carefully, folks, because to understand the ramifications is really to understand what we're seeing in the larger sense. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is. Climate change, sure. Uh, abortion, it doesn't matter. Whatever the subject is, because if they can do this with climate change, and they ha- will do it with climate change, they will do it with anything that... Um, stands in the way ideologically of, of the new world order the lynch was before uh, testified before a senate judiciary committee hearing on on justice department operations today senator sheldon whitehouse a democrat from rhode island raised the issue drawing a comparison between possible civil action against climate change deniers and civil action that the Clinton administration pursued against the tobacco industry for claiming that the science behind the dangers of tobacco was unsettled. So now we are dragging in the tobacco industry in comparison. Isn't this interesting? The similarities between the mischief of the tobacco industry, and I'm not sticking up for them, okay, pretending that the science of the tobacco's dangers were unsettled, for example. You know, we, Well, you can't prove that. You can't prove that smoking a cigarette containing 5,000 carcinogen chemicals and all that stuff is bad for your health. You can't prove it. In fact, look back to the 50s. They were saying smoke for, you know, for energy and all that stuff. Remember that? Like it was yesterday. Like it was yesterday. Right on. But the, the, they're saying, well, you know, it, it's like the science behind the fossil fuel industry. Notice how they say fossil fuel industry. Is it really fossil fuel? Or is that yet another, shall we say, another um, deception? Isn't it fun to say fossil fuel? You hear that in grade schools. No, it's fossil fuel. Where does that come from? Is it really fossil fuel? Are we really filling our cars and making plastics out of the byproduct of dinosaurs and such. Think about that. So in fact, I would urge everyone to, to research that because you might be surprised what you'll find. But but the fact of the matter is, and that's going off the, off the uh, topic, but the fact of the matter is Lynch is saying, well, look, we can actually go against people and entities, organizations, who... Uh, are denying that uh, denying climate change, denying the fact that that man, that oil companies, that uh, businesses are are responsible for such things, and uh, again making the comparison to Clinton, the Department of Justice brought and won a civil RICO action against the tobacco industry for its fraud. Now, obviously, the 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 tobacco companies lied. Yes. But in this case, and in, even in that case, we're looking at the powers of the of the Department of Justice, and not only civil but criminal, and especially criminal. Under Obama, the Department of Justice has done nothing so far about the climate denial scheme. This brilliant senator from Rhode Island said, 
a request for action by the Department of Justice has been referred by you to the FBI. My question to you, this is this Sheldon, uh, or, or I'm sorry, what's his name again? What did I say? Sheldon Whitehouse. This is what he's saying. A request for action by the Department of Justice has been referred by you to the FBI. My question is, or my question to you is, other than civil forfeitures and matters attendant to a criminal case, are there any other circumstances in which a civil matter under the authority of the Department of Justice has been referred to the FBI? Meaning, what he's asking is, okay, yeah, okay, there's a civil part of it, but have you pursued any criminal action? Now think about this. That would be akin to us Saying up here, standing up here and saying, you know, abortion or the killing of infants actually has statistically shown uh, that it uh, it actually has uh, a higher the women who have had abortions they have a statistically higher than average um, cancer rate, which studies have proven now that that would be akin to the justice department coming in and saying you can't say that and if you do not only are you liable civilly but criminally i don't know if that puts it in perspective anymore but uh, i guess perspective doesn't really matter you get the idea they're coming after climate deniers climate change deniers criminally now and she she said this, Senator, thank you so much for raising that issue, and thank you for your work in this area. I know your commitment is deep. The only thing missing there was a but. This matter has been discussed. We have received information about it and have referred to, to the FBI to consider whether or not it meets the criteria. Our studio dog just had an issue with that noise. Um whether it meets the criteria for which we could take action on. I'm not aware of a civil referral at this time. Uh, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to get back to you. But I'm not aware of a civil referral outside of the one that you just raised. So she's playing a little bit of games here. Um, but she also said this. Are there any civil... Or, um, White House asked this. Are there any civil cases with the U.S.? as plaintiff within DOJ's civil division in which the FBI is preparing the case for the civil division. And then she asked this, are you, are you regarding uh, climate change issues? And he asked, and he says this, regarding any matter. And then she replies, I couldn't give you that information right, right now in terms of whether or not. And then she stops. So what this tells me, if you look at, if you look at the, if you're wondering what in the world I'm talking about, if you look at, at exactly her response, the questions asked and her answers, she she's saying, look, I can't tell you a wink, wink, nod, nod, but we're working on it, so hang in there, buddy. So here's what we're, we're going to see under Obama and under, well, it really doesn't matter. It's, here's what we're going to see under the, the current the power structure in Washington. We're going to see people who have very strong ideological opinions on things like climate change, abortion, uh, or pro-life. Um Anything, anything to do with uh, spiritual matters of religion, anything about race, anything about uh, homosexuality, or any any perversion of the traditional nuclear family and marriage. Watch out, because it ain't just cakes or flowers at a wedding. It's about speech. It's about my right to say. 
I don't agree with homosexual activities, marriage or whatever. It's about my right to say, and your right to say the same thing. They are criminalizing free speech. That's the takeaway from this. They are criminalizing free speech. Folks, please understand how late the time is. Dear Lord, understand how late the time is. And when we're talking about Lynch, um, as I stated earlier, Lynch indicates DOJ now required to charge Hillary Clinton. Um, Attorney General Loretta Lynch indicated Wednesday that the law does not require the Justice Department to pursue criminal charges against Hillary Clinton for her use of a private email system, even if the FBI recommends the criminal charges. Lynch was asked in a hearing by Senator uh, Corrin in Texas, John Corrin, what her department would do if the FBI were recommending uh, a criminal investigation. She said this, if the FBI were to make a referral to the Department of Justice to pursue a case by way of indictment and to convene a grand jury for that purpose, mm-hmm. the Department of Justice is not required by law to do so. Are they, or are you, Corrin asked? I'm sorry, that was the question posed to her. Lynch did not answer directly, but seemed to indicate the department had some wiggle room and can consult with officials before deciding what to do. It would not be an operation of law. It would be an operation of procedures, Lynch said in reply. She added that the decision to pursue a criminal case would be done in conjunction with the agents involved in the investigation, and it's not something that we would cut them out of the process, she went on to say. All of this. Debbie Washman sold Schultz yesterday. After the primaries, or during the the, uh, Fox coverage of primaries, on our way out the studio, I saw... um, and there was a headline on Drudge also that, you know, she she made it clear that there was not going to be any charges brought against Clinton for the email scandal. <clears throat> the email scandal is the umbrella. Inside that email scandal can, is the information. It, it, look at the email scandal as a file folder. Or no, better yet, a, a file cabinet. And each, we'll say a four-drawer file cabinet. And that's the email scandal top drawer open that up that's uh that's the arab spring and related activities by the covert cia operatives to destabilize the middle east second drawer that's benghazi third drawer that's who knows i mean it could be anything maybe vince foster and the fourth drawer that's miscellaneous but that the email scandal or the email crime it's not even a scandal it's a crime is really the umbrella for all of those things. And I will tell you this, that I don't believe there will be an indictment. I don't believe they can perp walk her. I don't believe that they can actually do anything. When I say they, I'm talking about the FBI. And according to my source within the FBI, and I can tell you that Alex Jones is, is his sources as well, is saying the same thing. There are people that are quitting over this in the FBI. They're long-term guys are saying, well, I'm taking retirement right now at 55 or 52, actually, 53. I'm taking my money. I'm, I'm out of here. Because it's the Department of Injustice. That's what's taking place. So I don't believe that, uh, personally, I don't believe that there's going to be any indictment against Hillary Rodham, Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton, only because no one's got the guts. No, no man's got the guts. No woman's got the guts. Or they're all within the, within the power structure, those who could bring down uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Trey Gowdy included. Oh, he looks good. He looks good, doesn't he? When he's talking, he looks good. 
he points his finger and he yells and he screams and he he drags you know oh it's it's good it's a good theatrical performance up at the at the end of the day have we seen anybody being held accountable about for Benghazi movies have been made about it cinematic productions have been made about Benghazi what's been done about it aside from movies being made nothing you think anyone's going to be brought in of any caliber to be held accountable for the death of the four people? And you may say, well, Stevens and, and others there in Benghazi were running guns and weapons, and they were no heroes of the United States. Well, say what you will about that. It, this is a matter of law. This is a matter of Hillary, Diane Rodham Clinton, and Obama, and others, including but not limited to Valerie Jarrett, and uh, the king of Saudi Arabia and, and the United Arab Emirates and, and other Arab countries organizing and, and, and organizing the, the takedown of Bashir al-Assad. That's what been, that, that's what this whole Libya thing was about. And of course, folks, we talk about this all the time. But the bottom line is this: the Gang of Eight, the Republicans, the so-called conservative Republicans, the Tea Party darlings, they knew about this even before and during Benghazi. They knew about this operation. They approved. They signed off on the operation, and that's why. You've got the very same people who are who are prosecuting Clinton or attempting theatrically at this big stage play. They were involved in this as well. They knew about it. They signed off on it as well. So no, no, not at all. You're not going to see anything. That's just that's just my view. Take it for what it's worth. Here. Uh it's an updated article out of Reuters. Obama committed to Pacific trade deal even as opposition spreads. U.S. Pre- uh, President Barack Obama is fully committed to pushing for Congress to ratify the Trans-Pacific Partnership or TPP deal despite anti-trade sediment gaining stream or gaining steam on the presidential election campaign trail. National Security Advisor Susan Rice said on Wednesday, Twitter anxiety and anger over the international trade of the 12-nation Pacific Trade Pact have helped propel the campaign of Donald Trump the Republican frontrunner, as well as Bernie Sanders, the Democratic uh, candidate running against Hillary Clinton. The president remains fully committed to working to achieve ratification on the U.S. side and encouraging all of our TPP partners to move through their domestic processes to do the same, Rice told Reuters in an interview Wednesday. For Obama, the TPP is a legacy issue. And standing firm on the pack reassures other nations with high expectations for the deal. At the same time, it highlights a division with Clinton, a close political ally who has been grappling with the Democratic anxiety about the trade on the campaign trail. Obama's commitment to trade to the trade deal means that it will likely remain a hot campaign issue, and uh, the trade-bashing rhetoric will continue ahead of the November 8th vote to elect the Obama successor. Sanders has accused Clinton of backing disastrous trade policies, and uh, we have Trump, whose anti-free trade rhetoric is worrying uh, some establishment and elected, already elected leaders across the world who have signed on to this deal already. Uh, that's one of the big things that his own party, the, the GOP establishment, has been on him about is the, the anti-trade rhetoric saying that it's, you know, Sure. Terrible for, um, it will be terrible for America to back out of this and, uh, 
Uh, we've seen that, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Democrats are actually the ones in the... Did, wait, wait, did, did you notice that terminology? It would be terrible for America to back out of this. Wait, did, did, did we sign on to this? Well, the administration did, but the it hasn't been passed, and the Senate has not ratified this treaty, which they must do. Well, apparently not, because, well, obviously, you know, we have to, we act as if there is... It's a choice. Well, when you sign on to a treaty before it's ratified by the Senate, you you actually act as if it's already been ratified, and then, I mean that that's that's the 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 nature of things. But but I don't recall the Senate being uh, ratifying this treaty, which is by a constitutional no, they, law. They, they ratified they the fast track. Well, of course, but they did not uh, vote on this yet. Well, but there should be a lot of pushback because the TPP is not going to be good for any country or good for the United States. It's going it's, it, to, it, it, people are not understanding this. This is not really about trade. This is about control. This is about controlling your dollars. This is about controlling your choices, limiting your choices. Not about expanding them, but limiting them in our abilities and, and also falling into the, the international rulings, the laws, instead of the Constitution being the finer final arbiter of of issues no it's not the constitution it's global law it's international law that we are will be subjugated to under the tpp in many matters that extend well beyond trade so there you go and we read this on monday ohio lost 112,500 jobs due to trade with tpp countries yes they uh, this from the Cle- from cleveland.com says ohio lost 112,500 jobs in 2015 resulting from the United States trade deficit with countries that are a part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, according to analysis by the Economic Policy Institute. That places Ohio sixth in the terms of percentage of jobs lost to trade with TPP countries. Think about that. How much more will that be um, if this is ratified? Yeah, exactly. how How many more jobs will this directly impact? And and folks, really, really think about that. And in... And as I said, this, this article says almost 113,000 jobs in 2013 lost to tra- uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership countries, right. and this is their, this is ranked the sixth state overall. So you have five states with higher numbers, higher numbers, higher percentages yep. of job losses. But you don't just hear about year, that last, last year alone. That's right. We're we're approaching the top of the hour, folks. Next hour and for the remainder of the show, Chris Pinto about the Georgia Guidestones and as well as other matters, all that you need to hear, yeah. folks. Before we go to the top of the hour news break, I just want to mention: Have you well, ask? Have you registered for here the Watchman? Are you going to join us there? Are we going to get to meet and hug one another and shake? I'm not a hugger. And if you can't shake get hands. there in person, the live stream option is available on the website hearthewatchmen.com. Oh, but 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 yeah, but come come join us in Dallas and Fort Worth. Promo code Hagman will get you fifty dollars off your ticket if you buy them up through next Monday or this coming Monday. Oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. Push that button. Push and the, the button. Live stream is only twenty nine dollars to get the whole conference from the comfort of your own home. We'll be right back. This is the Global Star Radio Network.
welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are joined this hour by, and next hour, by Chris Pinto, filmmaker, radio show host, and much more investigator. Uh, we're going to be talking about his film Dark Clouds Over Elberton, as well as several other projects he's worked on and working on, uh, including the latest DVD you can pre-order, Bridge to Babylon. Uh, it's incredible stuff. You, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we had talked, uh, I don't know, Joe and I were talking earlier, I guess we had talked about a month ago about uh, about the Georgia Guidestones, and I was surprised by how many people did not know of their existence or, or what, I was surprised about the misconceptions related to the Georgia Guidestones. That's kind of what, what compelled me to do some research on the Internet, and I came across a, a gentleman by the name of Chris Pinto, and he's the head of uh, uh, Films, uh, com. All right, so this is how it all started. And I, th- I got on the phone to Steve Quayle. I said, Steve, I said, uh, you know, you and I have spoken about the Georgia Guidestones. This is my conversation with Steve Quayle. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, what do you think about Chris Pinto's work? He said, oh, oh man, great guy. You've got, to, you've got to get him on the show. I said, okay. But um, before I before he did, I ordered the the uh, the DVD, got the DVD in, and uh, Eric, the tech, Joe, and I we sat and we watched it, and you know there's some hokey DVDs, hokey documentaries out there to me. I, I've watched my share of documentaries, and, and really there are some pretty pretty hokey ones. But this one held my attention. Now, uh, having been an investigator in the private sector for 30 years and dealing with a lot of criminal matters as well as civil matters and, and trying to get to the, the truth of a matter, it's both an art and a science. And Chris Pinto combines both in this, in this DVD. I was, uh, not too many, not too many things hold my attention when it comes to documentaries, but this did. Um, <clears throat> there was not a lot of fluff in it. There wasn't fluff in it at all, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, but the most important thing here I'm, I'm trying to say is number one, Chris Pinot to me is, I mean, I would, I would hire him as an investigator or I would be gladly work with him as an investigator. I believe he's got the investigative qualities and traits of, of any of the investigators I've worked with on the federal, state, and local level. Um, when, when I, and I was very wary about, for example, you know, looking at things with, uh, you hear so much talk, well, you know, the Georgia Guidestones, uh, R.C. Christian, that's, uh, what's this, the Ted Turner's deal. You hear about that, and you hear, you can go on and look at Wikipedia and say, oh, well, Wikipedia says this or that about the Guidestones. Well, yeah, no, 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 no. You want to know the truth about the Georgia Guidestones? Pick up dark clouds over Elberton. Go to order from adullamfilms.com, dark clouds. Just, you'll see it there. It's well worth the $24.95, I believe it is. Well worth it. And the backstory, simply put, in the, and I remember this. I mean, I remember, I was, I was, I mean, I remember this as an adult back in the late 70s, where this, this monument was erected and then got some press and I'm thinking, what the heck's that all about? But I blew it off and, you know, because you're not awake and then, but as we go through, as we've gone through everything now, we see where, okay, so a lot of this stuff is in progress, in motion and it's accelerating. And I'm talking about the, 
the uh, really the ten commands, commandments, or I hesitate to use the word commandments, but the ten laws or whatever you want to call them on the Georgia Guidestones. So then the obvious question is, as an investigator, well, who's behind it? And uh, Dark Clouds Over Elberton, that DVD, gave me pretty much everything I needed to know about who's behind it, why, and I was surprised because a lot of misconceptions that I had were removed by this documentary, and that went went the same. I'm not going to put words in their mouths, but for Eric and for Joe, and they said, wow, match. Okay, now, now I understand. And, and that's the gift that Chris, Chris Pinto has, the gift of merging art and investigation, or entertainment and investigation. I mean, investigation is both an art and a science, and he's accomplished both. Mr. Pinto, welcome to the program, sir. Good to be here with you guys. Really good to be here. It's good to talk to you and, again. Yes, yes. We had a great conversation off air and learned a lot about you. And, and uh, you know, I met, you talk about a man of integrity and character and a knowledgeable guy. That's Chris Pendo. But, Chris, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to, to our audience? Uh, you could do a better job of telling our audience who you are than I could, probably. So, uh, and, and how you got started in all of this. And, you know, where, oh, where wow. Well,. When I was uh, younger, I went to uh, went to school, went to college at a place called the North Carolina School of the Arts, and I studied acting. And I got into acting, writing, directing when I was a young guy, and pursued that and then independent filmmaking. And then I became a born-again believer when I was 30 years old and was living in New York. And I got saved, came to know the Lord, and that changed my life uh, I gave up my worldly ambitions for Hollywood and this kind of thing and then set about trying to figure out what the Lord wanted me to do and uh, whether or not I should even be involved in the entertainment industry. And then one step at a time was led into, well, like you were talking about doing investigative work, I just became very interested in Bible prophecy and world events, things happening in the world around us and really felt led to pay more and more attention to them and to compare them with what we find in the scripture um, and was deeply impacted by a, uh, a film years ago a documentary called Rock and Roll Sorcerers of the New Age Revolution by a guy named who became a very dear friend of mine and a brother named Pastor Joe Schimmel and I saw his film and he was talking about things like the New Age movement and this new world order and globalism and stuff like that things that I'd never heard of before. Now, this is years and years ago. And uh, so I started investigating them. And, you know, the thing that really impressed me about his presentation is he spent so much time talking about the Bible and prophecy and really uh, tying in uh, what the Scripture says and saying, well, these things are happening in the world right now, all around you. You know, they're going on not only in the entertainment industry, he was focusing on the music industry, but he said they're also happening politically, happening theologically, with churches, etc. And so it was really eye-opening and, uh, and very powerful. But that kind of began my own investigation into things like the Georgia Guidestones and the globalist movement and this, this thing they call the New World Order and what was all of that about. And then I started making... That documentaries based on the research and the first documentary I did was called Megiddo the March to Armageddon Bible Prophecy and the New World Order 
Um, and then I did a follow-up called Megiddo 2, and then partnered up with um, another ministry, and we did a three-part series on the history of America called Secret Mysteries of America's Beginnings, where we investigated a lot of the uh, pagan influences in the history of America that really kind of shows how our country went from being a country that professed Christianity pretty strongly back at the 13 colonies, but then through the influence of these occult groups, one step at a time, developed what we today call New Age ideas about God and theology, etc. But we show kind of the origins of where all of these things began. And um, and so eventually that kind of brought me into you know the research that uh, that we did on the Georgia Guidestones. I remember you know in fact I did a little vignette on the Guidestones in my film uh, Megiddo to the New Age. I'd gone there and filmed it briefly, and we talk about it for maybe ten minutes, pretty brief, just give an overview of the mysterious stranger who called himself R.C. Christian, who erected this monument and had these ten commands or ten guides on there and then the first command says uh, maintain a world population below 500 million people and that this has to do with population control which is a big you know it's a very uh, important aspect that you find over and over again in terms of this globalist agenda uh, and when you study communism and socialism as I'm sure you guys know there's a reason why the communists built so many gulags and were killing millions of people. There's a reason why Hitler and his National Socialist Movement built so many concentration camps and killed millions of people. Uh, depopulation and population control are a very important tenets and aspects of this globalist movement. And it's a philosophy, it's a worldview. It's It's this idea that there are too many people on the earth that the real problem of man is other men, other people. And, of course, part of the research that we did in uh, Megiddo 2 and elsewhere has to do with Darwin and Darwinism and the whole, you know, the Darwinian connection with Hitler and the Nazis. But I think that plays, as we show in uh, Dark Clouds or Elberton, by the time we get to the end of it, you you see the Darwinian connection. And what I usually do is I point people to the full title of Darwin's book, which I think is very telling. Uh, his book, um, Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. And this appears to be where Hitler got his idea for his book, Mein Kampf, My Struggle. Uh, his struggle was the preservation of the favored race, the Aryan race, against the lower races. And so this all feeds into population control. When, they, when they're choosing who it is that's going to be preserved and supported versus those who need to be diminished, it has very much to do with this idea that there are higher and lower races of humanity. Uh, and one of the chilling quotes from Darwin, if you read, if you study his writings, is that the higher races of man would eventually uh, destroy the lower races of man, and hence create a greater gap between man and his ancient ancestor, the ape. I remember stumbling upon that quote, 
and thought it was pretty powerful because it seems to have been exactly what the Nazis were trying to do. You know, when uh, when Hitler would make reference yeah. to... Go ahead. No, you know, I'm just amazed at, at the foundations of, of what we're looking at as is the term the New World Order. It, it amazes me every time I turn around, when you get deep into the research as you're talking, you find connections to Darwin, you find connections to the uh, to evolution, and, and at, the, at the nexus, you know, the, this Nazi occult-type activity seems to be at the nexus of all of this, or at least propelling the ideological bent or bias of this. So, I mean, and you really, really point this, I mean, you do a good job in laying this all out. I didn't mean to interrupt your flow of thought, but I just wanted to reaffirm that. Oh no, not all. I mean, you know, the, so so much of uh, of what's going on, as you know, is uh, uh, can be traced to the philosophies that uh, were uh, were put forth with Nazism. I remember talking to uh, years ago when I was working on another documentary called The Kinsey Syndrome, and when I interviewed Dr. Judith Reisman, who was formerly with the Department of Justice, and interestingly a personal friend of uh, Judge Scalia before he passed away here recently. And I was talking to Dr. Reisman, and she'd spent years studying all these things and had served with the uh, OJJDP, the juvenile division of the, of the DOJ, back during the Reagan administration. But she was talking about Nazi Germany, and she said, she said people didn't just wake up one day and decide to go and kill six million Jewish people because the average person is not going to do that she said these people were indoctrinated they were brainwashed systematically for years before all of this happened and then you know we spent a lot of time talking about the propaganda and you know uh, how you know the Nazi education with the kids and everything else and that they were all prepared and when I think about that, you, you look at what's going on in our country today with our colleges and universities. When people go to speak, if they hold to certain conservative views and this kind of thing, these young people will flip out on them and just get into a frenzy and just drive them off the stage and, and insist that they be kicked out of the university. As many people have noted, our young people in this country are being indoctrinated. They're being brainwashed. And it's very similar. Whenever I see these stories, it reminds me of the research that I've done in, in Nazi Germany and so on. And my grandfather on, an, on my mother's side uh, fought during World War II. And he was actually from Poland originally. He was an adopted grandfather, not my biological grandfather, um, who died before I was born. But uh, my adopted grandfather, his name is Zygmunt Zadarowski, and he was a Polish lieutenant during the war. But at one point he was captured by the communists, by the Soviet Union, before they changed sides in the war. And he talked about being put through reconditioning, like they would send him to classes and this kind of thing, and try to get him to think differently, to embrace communism. And that brainwashing was a big part of what they did, trying to re-educate people. And he thankfully eventually was set free and 
uh, went and joined the Allies eventually and fought through the end of the war. Um, and of course spent the rest of his life talking about the war over and over again. But he always warned, he, he, he was repeatedly compelled to try and join the Communist Party, he said, but he wouldn't do it because his father hated communists. Hated communists, said if he joined the Communist Party, his, he could never look his father in the face again. Um, and so he wouldn't do it. Man. But he told stories about the, the deceptions and the treachery that they were guilty of. Um, but a lot of it, you know, I think goes back to the going back to the uh, the brainwashing and the indoctrination. When part of how I learned about the Darwinian connection here was watching documentaries when I was doing research that were made shortly after World War II had ended. And in those documentaries, they still talked about things like like uh, the the uh, the gas, the Zyklon B gas that they used in the gas chambers, was a pesticide that was used in factories and warehouses to kill bugs. And shortly after the war, it was well known that this was a Nazi expression of how they viewed the Jews. They argued that the Jews were subhuman. They had not fully evolved, that they had discovered the Jew gene, uh, proving the Jews were not fully human and evolved and this kind of thing, and that this was used as a justification for mistreating them, and that the Zyklon B was like they were just getting rid of pests, they were getting rid of termites. Uh, In fact, there's a quote from Heinrich Himmler where Himmler had said, that getting rid of the Jews was not a matter of conscience, it was like being deloused, just getting rid of lice. You know, and that they, that they, they really weren't uh, fully evolved, fully developed. Now, I personally think that they're using the same philosophy to justify the abortion industry in our country today, because that's the argument, that unborn children are not fully evolved. So, therefore, supposedly it's not murder to kill an unborn child. Um, but yeah, I think what you know what you pointed out. I mean, this this has been the thing in so much of the research involving the globalists and this whole philosophy and this whole worldview. So much of it goes back to what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s, and uh, of course after the war, then you had Operation Paperclip. You had the transfer of tens of thousands of Nazi war criminals out of Europe by our own OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, and there are those who have speculated that many of these Nazis uh, came to work in America, and that within 20 years or so, we began to see things like Darwin, uh, arguments for abortion, uh, you know, many of the same ideas began to take hold in our country. And uh, I've often wondered if our if if those who were involved in the OSS had taken a stronger stand against Nazism in terms of just shunning all of those guys, if that would have prevented so many of these socialist ideas from taking hold in America. But I still don't know. I still speculate on it. That's definitely something to ponder. And, and I, I have to say that 
you know, that in in some manner or form, I, I consider that as well. You know, what you know, what if, um, and what if the the, the plans uh, back then were made known to the the people? But but you know, we're we're so far down this path today that it it seems as if we we've got this inability. Uh, uh, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. But but when when you study the roots, as you had just provided this excellent overview going back into well World War two and the Nazi aspect of things and, and and I get emails all the time people saying oh you, know, you here you go talking about Nazi Nazism again but man you know it, it's it's like so prevalent in in the the political and social ideology that that we have today in the West and in particular in America it's just it, 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 it's it's stunning for me just to see this, and you really point this out. Um, it, it, let me ask you a question, kind of a sidetracking a little bit here. Are, do you see any? And, and I'm not. I, I, I don't want to put you in a corner here at all. Do you see any parallels between where we are today as a country with uh, pre-war Germany of the '30s? We'll say. Oh, yeah, based upon what, and I mean, I'm not a big expert on pre-war Germany in the 30s, but there's a lot of, uh, from from what I know of what was going on there with, uh, well, it is said that during that time you had the rise of these militant homosexual groups that were, that rose up and that they they were very, uh, very, very dogmatic, especially in Germany. It was said in the 1930s and 40s that homosexuality was Germany's national vice and that the homosexuals formed the inner core of what would become the Nazi party. I've read that on and off for years. And sure. of course, the, you know, and see, seeing the, the very, the increasingly fascist militant homosexual movement in our country, uh, this is, in fact, partly the subject of one of our films called The Kinsey Syndrome, because a lot of this can be traced back to Alfred Kinsey, who was doing his, who was, he was doing all the prep work for his Kinsey reports, which is ultimately what unleashed the sexual revolution here in America. And it also started the gay rights movement and all of this transgender stuff that we're dealing with today. You can trace all of that back to Kinsey in the 1940s and 50s when he oh, did his two books. He was. Boy, oh, oh, yeah. Man, I'll tell you, you know, and, and he's deified by, uh, by modern, in, in cases of modern psychiatry, but, but also deified by, uh, you know, the guy was a pedophile. Among a, a pervert, uh, in uh, I should say alleged. I don't know. Uh, at least he writes or has written papers, and I've got uh, I've got his you know, books uh, about him. Uh, it, this is intensely insane, uh, Kinsey, and and his position that he played is the role that he played into today's modern homosexual movement. And how in the world could three, really, no more than three three and a half percent of of, of a population of a country Take over, hold hostage the majority, the other ninety six and a half percent, or or ninety six percent, or even ninety five percent, if you want to give give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, how can how can a small such a small percentage change laws, change the definition of 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 what the Bible has has defined? 
and be so successful at? I mean, I guess I'm going off on a tangent there, but I had to get my two cents in there since you mentioned Kinsey, and every time I hear Kinsey's name, I kind of twitch. Well, with and with good reason, because uh, Kinsey, you, you can trace so many of the problems we're dealing with right now back to uh, back to Kinsey with all these sexual orientation laws, uh, et cetera. But yeah, how how they have? I, I think what they've done is they have just spent decades specifically seeking out places of uh, political power and influence in the system, and. It's there's an interesting uh, in the first part of our film we talk about the book Foundations Their Power and Influence by Renee Wormser. It's a great book, great book that I think all Americans should read if they haven't read it already. Um, but uh, it has to do with the Reese Committee, which was the congressional committee in the 1950s, uh, headed by Congressman B. Carol Reese, and Congressman Reese. Uh, and his committee who discovered that there was this uh, movement involving the Rockefeller Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Guggenheim, and the Carnegie Endowment, and they were all working in concert together to subvert the education system to specifically get us away from our Judeo-Christian foundation and toward a more globalist, Marxist worldview, they developed things like postmodernism, which is not an accident. They, they specifically sewed that into the schools. Uh, and Wormser, when he's writing in this book, he talks about all that the committee was learning about this really a plan to turn us into a communist country, but they had to do it slowly and systematically. But at one point, he talks about how one of the uh, one of the leading members of Congress, I can't remember the guy's name. One of the leading members of Congress was inquiring about their research, and part of this research led to Alfred Kinsey because Kinsey was financed by Rockefeller. And this guy, this uh, committee chairman, can't remember his name, but he called into the office the guys that were on this Reese committee doing the investigation. And he said, I need you to give me all of the files on Alfred Kinsey, all of them. And then they protested, and they said, you know, well, we don't know if we want to give you those files. And apparently, the way that Wormser writes in the book, he says the guy got so angry and so furious, he said he was going to go shut down their entire investigation, defund the entire thing, if they didn't give him the information they had on Alfred Kinsey and turn it all over to him at once. And they reluctantly agreed to do it. And so nobody knows what was in those files. But wow. my suspicion is my suspicion is that there were people who were involved in all kinds of sexual perversions who had by that point they they had they had power in the government and they didn't want anybody to know about it. Uh, and this guy was trying to cover it up. But I think they have been moving, they've been manipulating things one step at a time from that point to the present day. I mean, there's evidence. You, you have psychiatric group, groups back in the 1950s and 60s that were promoting things like pedophilia. Uh, sure. And, you know, and Kinsey, of course, worked with pedophiles. This is one of the things we talk about in our film, where he hired some of these guys and paid them money. Um, 
and and then documented all of this research. And the research that he documented becomes the foundation for sex education in America. That's the shocking part that most people don't know. Um, and I remember when I first learned about this, I was interviewing Dr. Reisman on a different topic, but having to do with the moral decline of America. And she was talking about all this stuff. And she had been with the Department of Justice and so on, so of course I, that's why we're talking to her. But as I'm listening to her, I'm thinking, this can't be right. I mean, the first time I heard some of this stuff, I thought, oh my gosh, we can't use this. This sounds crazy. Um, and then I spent about three and a half years researching the things that she told us about and come to find out, yeah, of course, she's, you know, much of what she said, uh, well, really, I didn't find anything that she said that was incorrect. Um, and it's just remarkable how, especially from then to now, because we released that film back in 2008, from 2008 to 2016, the advance of this movement has been so rapid. And it's been, it's, it's almost like nobody has the power, or so it seems, to put a stop to it. And, uh, and so wow. and looking at, at what's happened with the gay marriage issue, when you had the president, Bill Clinton, signs the Defense of Marriage Act, you have these state legislators that all pass a ban on gay marriage across the country, and then uh, the American people vote in some 30 states and they all vote against gay marriage, but none of it matters. It's all swept off the table by the Supreme Court, and they push it into the system. And it goes back to what you're saying. How did they get this power? How did they get this power? I think that's. I think that's still okay. That's exactly. I mean, and therein lies the rub. Um, Eric, do you mind uh, just sending a text to my to my wife and uh, having her make sure we order uh, for the office the Kinsey syndrome? I mean, look, we we need this, and uh, uh, and in fact. Uh, we should do that right right away. In fact, you know what? Um, you've got a package. Do you have a package deal on your website? You do, don't oh, you? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. DVDs. All right, all right. So so you can because my wife's at home and listening to the broadcast. Well, you know, she's like, so so, honey, um, take advantage of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm being very serious because you know I started out thinking about the Georgia Guidestones, but really the basis of what we see, you know, for this monument. I mean, this goes back so far in the the ideology of of these these perverted uh, globalists, and really with a Luciferian agenda. I mean, uh, and how polluted and the Reese Committee. Oh my goodness! I you know, folks, you you want a good laugh? Just just look at some of the websites in defense of the Reese or in in I'm sorry, in opposition of the uh, Reese Committee, uh, talking about you know what a, what a scam, comparing it to basically. Um, the McCarthy hearings and conflating the McCarthy hearings with the House Un-American activities, and you know, people don't get to the fact that McCarthy was a senator, and the House Un-American activities committee was the House, and they, they conflate the two, and they have no idea what they're talking about. So, it, but, but it's, it, you know, it, it's nice to talk with you. Uh, and our guest tonight is Chris Pinto. His website, adullamfilms dot com, unless. Is is that the, the the website we should direct people to? Adullamfilms.com? Yeah, we have uh, we have two sites. We have adullamfilms.com. Think the cave Adullam from First uh, Samuel chapter twenty two. 
It's where David fled when he was being persecuted. Um, so at DullamFilms.com, and then we have our radio website, which is at NoiseOfThunderRadio.com, and that's where we do our podcast radio show. Um, okay. But but yeah, you can you okay. can find uh, you can find our stuff here. If you go to AdullamFilms.com, you can watch previews of most all of our documentaries. And for so. those listening or watching, yeah, and, and Chris, for those watching on YouTube Live right now and on, on the archive, you will see, ladies and gentlemen, the, the previews of, for example, uh, Dark Clouds over Alberton and uh, other parts of Adolin Film, uh, the, the uh, uh, public part of AdolinFilms.com. So, I mean, this is just amazing. I, I You know, I never expected the, the, the breadth of this. I mean, talking about this, the breadth of of this agenda and how all of this intricately fits together. So, you know, Kinsey, um, just to go, just to go back a little bit, Kinsey, the, the educational system, the, the, the various 501c3 corporations or companies that entities that have been embroiled in, into this Darwinianism and, and the perversity and, and the, rede- the redefining of marriage, how, how it, and you mentioned something, right? And I want to ask you about this. How, how is this in your view? We see this massive acceleration going on today of, of all of this this agenda that, that that really was planted back in the fifties and before that. But but what's what's your best guess on, on what's going on here with, with respect to the acceleration? Well, I think the the acceleration is it's uh, it's kind of uh, you know I talk about because what we're seeing right now. Look at Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders comes out of the blue. A guy that, if you had told me a, a year ago or two years ago that he was going to have this huge following across the country of young socialists who think socialism is a good idea, I would have thought that was just a bit much. I would have thought, even then, even though I know what they're doing to the education system. But the thing that the Reese Committee, what I've been telling people on my radio program, is that what the Reese Committee uncovered was this plan that went back to the 1920s when they began rewriting our history books in the 1920s. In fact, people can go online, they can go to YouTube, and they can type in Norman Dodd, D-O-D-D. And Norman Dodd was the director of research for the Reese Committee, and he talks about all of this, how they began rewriting history to get us away from our Judeo-Christian foundation toward a more communist worldview. And it was all very deliberate, but they were going to do it systematically one step at a time. So uh, what I think happened is this movement, because then you have the book by John Stormer, None Dare Call It Treason, which he writes after World War II. And he's talking about how communists have infiltrated our education system back in the 1950s and 60s. And this is when the Reese Committee discovers it, that they'd already been doing this for about 30 years at that point. And now, here it is, half a century past the Reese Committee, and all of the Marxist brainwashing has really gained more and more momentum. It's like all of the seeds of deception that they have been sowing for decades are now really coming to fruition. We had a family member. This happened a few months ago. One of our family members has a son who is graduating from high school and uh, came home one day and said to his mom that he thought socialism was a good idea for America. 
And his mother turned around and looked at him, his mother, who's about my age, turned around and looked at him and said, son, do you know that Adolf Hitler was a socialist? Did you know that? And then they had this big debate about it and so on. He became somewhat defensive, I think. Um, But apparently, they're not telling the kids, at least from what I'm hearing. I haven't haven't been in a high school for a while. But the kids are not really aware that socialism was Nazism, that Nazism was national socialism. They're not being given that connection, apparently. And in fact, I've seen repeatedly attempts by the liberals to deny any sort of connection between socialism and Nazis, which to me is just incredible, um, because growing up I was taught completely differently. And uh, But w- that's what's happening. The kids are being indoctrinated, they're being brainwashed, and it's now it's at a point where it's just gaining more and more momentum. And so it's almost like, uh, you know, it's almost like walking out on your front lawn and, and out of nowhere all of these weeds grew up somewhere in the lawn and you're trying to, where do they come from? But, uh, but all of the groundwork was laid for it over a long period of time. And so I've, I, I honestly believe if there's any hope for America, if there's any hope for our country, first of all, I believe it's through the gospel and through the word of God, through the scripture, uh, and it, it will take the power of God um, I often refer to Psalm 119, which says, It is time for thee, O Lord, to act, for they have made void thy law. They've made void the law of God, and we need the power of God to turn this thing around. Um, but I think part of what needs to happen in, you know, in, a, uh, in a, a practical way would be we have to find a way to, to reclaim the education system. Because if the kids continue to be brainwashed with Marxism, it's just a matter of time. Within the next 10 or 20 years, uh, you're, you're going to have an overwhelming population of people who think that socialism and communism is a great idea. And they'll be ready to completely overturn the Constitution. That's what I see happening right now. Um, and I think that the, uh, wow, the socialists... the Mar- Man. Sorry, that, that, that's just a frightening thought, but but you're right on the money, I believe. Hmm. Well, I, I think they recognized early on that taking down our country would not be something that could happen overnight, not something that could happen by force, because we've got too many people. We've got the Second Amendment. Uh, you, you've you've got a very strong population where. There's more than 100 million people who are armed, um, and typically that doesn't go well for people who want to try to invade a country. They tend to shy away from that. Um, so finding a way to subvert the country from within, that that would be what you would have to do. In fact, I think there's even a speech from Abraham Lincoln where Abraham Lincoln said, essentially, that the only way America could fall is if we committed suicide as a country if we somehow or other committed national suicide. And I think somebody somewhere along the way took that seriously and began to come up with a system within where that would become the mentality. Because so many people now, so many of our young people seem to have uh, a kind of an anti-American worldview. It seems, there seems to be this hostility toward America. 
uh, at least from what I sense, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I don't spend as much time with um, you know with with young people, but just seeing the sort of the the disposition toward our country that the Constitution needs to be modified or changed, or uh, our country we're we're all bigots and racists supposedly, and uh, the the Second Amendment's not a good idea. And now there's all these attacks on the First Amendment because a lot of it having to do with the homosexual agenda. Uh, oh, yeah. We're hearing people say, well, you're no longer going to be able to hide behind the First Amendment and to protect your bigotry and this kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed, and, and we, we're, we're watching this unfold right before our very eyes. The first hour before you came on, we were talking about uh, Loretta Lynch uh, actually talking about, talking to a, a Rhode Island senator about civil and criminal penalties about people who stand up and deny global climate change. So here we have the Department of Justice not really concerned too much about all of the ills and crimes about emails and about Benghazi and all of that, but yet you dare talk about climate change or deny it and uh boy there you know you're in the crosshairs of the department of justice which is ridiculous because what what this amounts to is a censorship like you said you know i mean this is taking away our first amendment rights through the um, through the weaponization of the, the department of justice and it's just incredible as we see this play out man yeah well, and and this whole climate change things thing uh, coming back to the Georgia Guidestones, the Guidestones went up in 1980, and they're basically giving a, a blueprint for the uh, for the politics for the politicizing of environmentalism, and using it as an instrument for global government. Um, and what you know when I when I made. Uh, one of my films years ago, Megiddo, the March to Armageddon, the the focus seemed to be that the need for world government, the urgent need for world government, was to prevent a nuclear holocaust. Because with now with nuclear bombs and so on, uh, the world, unless the world finds out how to be unified, we could all blow ourselves up with some kind of nuclear catastrophe. We they had all these movies, of course, and we all saw. Planet of the Apes and this kind of thing, um, but that was the excuse that to avoid nuclear holocaust we need to have a one-world order. Now, a few decades later, the excuse has shifted. There's not so much a concern for nuclear holocaust as much as climate change, and the uh, we're all in danger now because of climate change, of global warming, etc. So this is the new excuse to develop some kind of one-world system, some kind of totalitarian uh, government that can exercise oversight and, of course, more and more power over the nations of the earth to help solve the problems of so-called climate change. But that's really what, I mean, those are the elements that are contained in the Georgia Guidestones from 1980. And And, with it, of course... Go ahead. I was going to say very quickly, with it, of course, is uh, because everywhere you find environmentalism, there is this there is there there is this desire for population control. 
that that you have to control the population somehow or other. And exactly. uh, and the guy who uh, built the guidestones, he also published a book five years after the guidestones went up. And in it, he he goes into great detail about how population control is the most urgent issue facing humanity. And he's even talking about things like having one-child families and even hints at things like what they do in China with forced abortions and that kind of thing. Uh, I don't think he comes out and actually says it, but he hints at it, you know, because how would you enforce a one-child family limit? Well, the way they do it in China is they have forced abortions, etc. So it, uh, it, it gets very, very sinister and very, very chilling at that point. And, and that's what attracted me to the the documentary, your documentary, getting back to the Georgia Guidestones and Dark Clouds over Elberton. Here we have in 1979, which, and I find it interesting since we were talking about education. You know, the Department of Education, you ask any young person, and, and they'll automatically know that the Department of Education Act was uh, signed into law by Carter, right? Everyone knows that. No, no one knows that. <laughs> you know, but, but, but okay, so Carter signed into law the Department of Education on October 17, 1979, which is about the same period of time that the Guidestones were, were erected. And I'm, I'm not saying that there's any connection, obviously. However, I just see this, this, uh, uh, this confluence of events toward the same objective, this, this global governance and dumbing down or indoctrinating, perhaps would be the better word, of, of, our, of our young people. You know, and uh, I, I don't recall who the uh, communist leader was, Lenin, Stalin. I don't, give me one generation and I can capture your country or change the world or whatever it was. Uh, I think it was Stalin. Okay. And, and yeah, I've I, I pretty much butchered that... Uh, that statement, but but not. I mean, you get the idea. That we're we're looking at. We're not looking at a series of disparate events. I don't think. I think we're looking at the true meaning from an investigative viewpoint as a conspiracy. And one thing that really got when I was watching your when we were watching your film, your documentary is the the, the vast. Uh, I mean, this is not one person might have been the front for the guidestones. At least the, the the money man or the the guy that you know signed his name on the paper and made the contacts. But you had discovered a network behind this guy, basically. Would, would that be a first statement? Oh yeah, they, I mean he he openly admitted that he represented a small group of he said loyal Americans uh, who wanted to help usher in an age or the age. It's he says it both ways, either the the age of reason or an age of reason. And uh, in his writings, he mentioned Thomas Paine and his uh, his pamphlet, Common Sense. In fact, the book that R.C. Christian published was called Common Sense Renewed. And so it it all sounds it all sounds okay. Then you go study Paine's book, The Age of Reason, and The Age of Reason is actually a an anti-Christian manifesto where uh, Paine. Um, you know, 20 years after the American Revolution, approximately, publishes this book, and it's a diatribe against Christianity and the Bible. And so it's very hostile toward Christianity. And you wonder if that somehow or other was in view with R.C. Christian. Was was that part of 
was that delivered? Because he doesn't really talk about that. He actually claimed to be a Christian. R.C. Christian did claim to be a right. Christian, and so, but but then he makes reference to this, the age of reason, and that he and this group they want to usher in the age of reason. They want to help usher in the age of reason, and uh, and then of course, as we show in the film, there are also connections to Rosicrucianism, uh, some connections to Freemasonry, although not as strong. Uh, but Rosicrucianism, Rosicrucians, those who are, are involved in that group, Rosicrucianism is notorious for blending Christianity and paganism, or really ancient Gnosticism, which they openly admit. If you were to go to their websites at AMORC, the uh, Ancient Mystical Order of the Rose and Cross, they've got their headquarters out in California. Uh, in fact, I did some filming out there and we show some of the footage from the AMORC in our Secret Mysteries series. I think in part two, Riddles in Stone, we talk about it. But um, but uh, they they will they develop words and phrases and so on and things like that that sound very Christian. They sound very biblical. But then they have really what we would call a New Age meaning to it all, and. Uh, and so then you wonder, is that, you know, when R.C. Christian claimed to be a Christian, is that what he meant, that he was really a Rosicrucian? Uh, and then so making reference to Thomas Paine's The Age of Reason. Well, for me, for me, what's interesting is seeing climate change being proclaimed in our world right now as the number one issue. President Obama's telling everybody climate change is the number one issue. You have the Pope who worked with this climate change uh, guy who is, an, who is an atheist, this uh, Hans Schellenhuber. Hans Schellenhuber, who worked with the Pope on his uh, encyclical, his environmental encyclical uh, that he published right before he came here to America and met with President Obama. Then you had Leonardo DiCaprio, who made mention of environmentalism at the Academy Awards here recently, and he had flown to Rome, to the Vatican, to meet with the Pope to talk about this very issue. In fact, if you go look at the video of it, DiCaprio goes in, he, he bows and kisses the Pope's ring as he has this meeting with him. So very interesting that this is going on, uh, and at the same time that they're proclaiming climate change is the most important issue in the world, we have what appears to be this incredible rise in anti-Christian persecution where Christians are getting their heads cut off in different parts of the world uh, there seems to be a real assault on Christianity over in Europe, in places like England if Christians speak against Islam there have been a number of cases there where not even speaking really not, not saying anything vulgar just confronting Islam from a Christian worldview you can be arrested if you're a Christian over in England or Scotland or Ireland for that. There's a story of a woman who wrote a letter to a, a Muslim schoolmaster who was teaching Islam to little girls, and she was a Christian woman. She was very concerned. She wrote a letter and uh, disagreed with her teaching. And the Muslim woman calls the police, has her arrested for doing this. And she ended up being sentenced to community service or something. Meanwhile, the Muslims are walking up and down the streets over there, and they're 
condemning England, they're saying Islam's going to rule the world, Sharia will take over, etc., etc. And when the British authorities are confronted, why do you let them do this? They say, well, we have free speech over here. So they, they give the Muslims the right to go around denouncing England and Christianity and whatever they want. But if Christians say anything, they can be arrested and go to jail and face prosecution. Of course, here in America, we're seeing now uh, with the advance of the militant homosexual movement, Christians facing what we call soft persecution. I mean, it's not nearly as bad as what they're suffering over in Iraq and Syria and so on. Yeah, um, yeah. But but it's 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 a growing hostility against Christianity in our country. Um, in fact, I was reading an article not long ago. They're saying the next thing that the gays want to go after are Christian lawyers to try and find a way to block Christians from practicing law in our country unless they accept homosexuality. Oh, how convenient and how expeditious! Cut cut it off right there with with the. Uh you know, with the uh, attorneys, and, and oh my goodness, what they've already done that? this, brother, up in Canada. In Canada, yeah, I, I was I reading saw that. I was reading I a story. Sorry. I think Ken Ham might have published the story where there was a Christian university trying to get accredited with its law school, and they were denying it because they wouldn't embrace homosexuality. And uh, and they said well, I, I thought that was a joke at first. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I I didn't believe it, but yeah. Well, according the to the story that I saw, according to the story that I saw, um, they said the thing that was incredible about it is they said that the Christians argued that our right to religious freedom is being violated, and the judge said yes, that's true, but it's better than allowing discrimination. At least that's where it stood. Now things may have changed up there. Uh, I don't know. Chris, Chris, I gotta, I gotta stop you right there. We're at the top of the hour. Hard break here, man. I'll tell you, at the epicenter, Georgia Guidestones, of course, but the ideology behind current events and the historical uh, importance of what we've seen. Chris Pinto is our very special guest. Folks, visit his website, adullamfilms.com. We're gonna be right back. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are joined this Wednesday with AdulmFilms.com uh, filmmaker Chris Pinto. He's a the filmmaker. He's a maker of several films, documentary films, uh, and uh, they have several books and and great uh, collection. Of, well, I want them all, man. Yeah, I'm looking at this: the hidden faith of the founding fathers uh, right now, and, the, and the, what we were talking about is. The dark clouds over Elberton, um, the, the Georgia Guidestones. But there is just a, you go to adullamfilms.com, that's A-D-U-L-L-A-M-films.com, 
you can just find the, the whole collection. He's got newsletters. Um, there is an audio CD store, uh, as well as, uh, as I said, newsletters and other resources. And um, we can't thank him enough for coming on. And we had the pleasure of watching the Dark Clouds over Elberton here in the studio together. Uh, Eric, myself, and my father, and, and it was it was a it was like a classroom. It really was when we were doing this. We were taking notes and and you know um, you know getting uh, uh, using straws and spitballs and no no but no it was seriously it was like a classroom and, and it really it was a fantastic DVD. It is a fantastic DVD. The way the way um, he lays it all out, the evidence. And that's why I would call uh, Mr. Pindo an investigator, researcher. Uh, I, I, in my view, his methods and, and his um, his research it, it rises to the level of, of an investigative report. As a matter of fact, I don't think I could write a, or do a better investigative uh, documentary than he has done about the Georgia Guidestones. Mr. Pindo, welcome back. And again, thank you so much for your gift of time. I know you're extremely busy. But thanks for uh, your gift of time tonight. Our audience is just, I've gotten so many emails from people just saying thanks. And, um, you know, they've heard of you, but, but man, the, you know, it's for sharing your knowledge. Now, you mentioned something uh, uh, last hour, and this is something that really got my attention uh, with respect to the Georgia Guidestones. And, folks, the Georgia Guidestones, to me, represent a standing monument of the ideology of this new world order that, that we're being forced with or forced into. And and we're being subjugated too, and we act, we're acquiescing to it. Even Christians who should know better, who should make a stand, kind of rolling over and saying, "Okay, you know, go ahead, go ahead, do it to us." Uh, but you mentioned something earlier about Thomas Paine, and I just want to address this, and we can move on from this. But do you think Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense, and then it seemed like he lacked something happened? Would, would he fall off a spike and hit his head or something? Uh, and, and then twenty years later, wrote. Uh, Wrote the other, uh, um, what do you write? Uh, the Age, the of, Age Reason. of Reason. That's right. Yeah, that 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 is one of the mysteries of uh, Thomas Paine, um, because when he wrote Common Sense, interestingly, he had only been in the country for less than a year, and he writes Common Sense. And really, what he's writing there, if you if you study the history of English Protestantism, going back to the time of the Reformation and back then to Oliver Cromwell, the Puritans, and their civil war against King Charles I, and then the glorious revolution of 1688, where they drove King James II off the throne and brought in William and, William and Mary, uh, who were the great Protestant champions. Uh, that's why we have the College of William and Mary here in the United States. Um, the The same philosophies involved in those uprisings where they're deposing the kings were the same philosophies that Thomas Paine is writing about in common sense. And in common sense, he's very favorable toward the Bible. He's using biblical arguments, and he's basically arguing that God is the king of America, not the king of England, and we should obey God's law and God's commands and you know, we have God-given rights. Basically, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's, in a nutshell, what he's communicating in the pamphlet. And, of course, it spoke to the largely 98% Protestant evangelical colonists at that time and uh, inspired the War of Independence. But then, 20 years later, he writes The Age of Reason, 
Now, it seems either either he was just being dishonest when he wrote Common Sense, or what happened is when he went to France, because he goes to France and he helps them with the French Revolution and to bring about the French Revolution. And, of course, in France, they weren't having a Christian revolution or, or from a biblical perspective that that wasn't... They wanted to get rid of the Bible, get rid of Christianity entirely, and have a purely secular humanist approach where they exalted the goddess reason, and human reason now would you know be in place of God. In fact, many people don't realize that Mary Shelley wrote her famous novel, Frankenstein, as an allegory of the French Revolution, because that's what they're doing. Dr. Frankenstein is playing God. He's creating his own man. And what happens is he creates a monster. That's why he's called the creature. You have the creator and then the creature in Romans chapter 1. Uh, well, he comes up with a creature, and it's a monster that comes back to haunt him and destroys everything he has. Well, that's what happened with the French Revolution. The revolutionaries, they unleash the powers of hell, if you will, and it leads to the reign of terror and all of this disaster, and the same guys who started the revolution ended up being devoured by it later on. But Paine, was, he was in the midst of that environment, and he seems to have been heavily influenced by Voltaire and Rousseau, guys who were very hostile to Christianity and you know, and and just denounced it as a fairy tale, as a fable, that they didn't believe it. Right. Um, and so that seems to be what happened to Payne, although it's hard to, it's hard to say. Um, but he's definitely making very Protestant, Bible-based arguments in common sense. But then twenty years later, he completely abandons that and does a one eighty. And now he's, you know, he thinks that Christianity needs to be abolished. In fact, Payne was so. Uh, bad. He was so against Christianity that when he died, he wanted to be buried in a church graveyard, and they wouldn't take him. They wouldn't take him. <laughs> he he okay. ended up being buried on his own farm uh, near the road, it was said, but uh, the churches wouldn't take him because he was so... Uh... But the country at the time was still very convicted about Christianity because you read his biography... People came to his house continually as he was old, and they would tell him, if you don't repent and believe Christ, you're going to go to hell. They would just tell him flat out. And his doctor would come over and tell him, you know, you need to repent and believe the gospel, etc. An old woman came to his house at one point, knocked on the door. And, you know, he says, what do you want? She says, I've been sent from God to tell you, you need to repent and believe Christ or you'll be damned. And uh, so there were many, many Americans who were witnessing to pain in the final, you know, months of his life before he died. Um, and it shows the, the conviction of the country at that time. But pain was definitely, he had, he had been turned somehow or other. The only thing I can figure is that it was from the, uh, his involvement with the French Revolution and the fact that they were so godless. And one of our guests, uh, Paul McGuire, points out the connection between uh, Mary Shelley, Frankenstein, and the French Revolution, a very astute student and really a professor, I, I believe, uh, uh, Paul McGuire, um, with respect to making that connection. And Thomas Paine, of course, just an amazing thing. Christians out there listening to this program, shouldn't we be doing that very thing that that, that the 
the old woman and the doctor to others to to people we care about saying hey you know um if especially if if they're infirmed or or um you know um sick or ill certainly preach the gospel that's our position we have to play you know uh anyway uh i just want to bring that out but uh this is so fascinating um getting back to the georgia guidestones is kind of the the uh the anchor at, at least to this part of the conversation here what struck you the most about finding well in the entirety of the investigation because i always i look back at some of the investigations i've done and joe and i've done but there seems to be like a moment especially in the bigger investigations there's that moment when you sit down and you look at the enormity of what you uncovered or how you've come to uncover something or any part thereof do you have any of those moments in 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 dark clouds over Elberton where you said wow oh i th- i think yeah. there were a number of them but the, the thing that that i think overall struck me the most about it because i had for years listened to various conspiracy theories about the monument and you know you you see them and people talk about them and there's all kinds of speculations um i think the thing that was the most intriguing for me was as we uncovered as we uncovered more information about rc christian and who he was and uh, his philosophies and this kind of thing that we you know we follow the trail of evidence as you would say in a film um, but discovering that the people in Elberton Georgia which is where the monument was erected that the people who actually built the monument even though they interacted with R.C. Christian they didn't really realize who he was not just his name but they didn't really realize what this whole thing was about uh, and I don't think they understood what the uh, what the guides were really communicating I think that they just thought, well, these are just some, maybe some nice ideas that some guy has, and this is just his opinion about things. I don't think they had any awareness. But of course, this is back in 1980. It's before the internet uh, becomes, you know, uh, indispensable to people, um, and so a lot of people didn't know a lot about secret groups and, and what they were up to. But they they just seemed to be completely oblivious that it was anything more than just a a curious monument. At least that that was my impression of them. And uh, and then discovering that R. C. Christian himself he had you know he he had some pretty in depth um, knowledge and an, an and a well developed philosophy about things. He didn't. And he he admitted uh, that he spent decades developing his philosophy before he had them, you know, had it communicated through the Guidestones. So he was clearly aware of globalist thinking, because he's even calling for things like a world court to settle disputes and things like that. Um, so that would probably be the most intriguing aspect of it and just meeting the the, the people because we interview them on camera um, you, you did a heck of a job with the interviews and and I want to say just as you described the people that you interviewed the witness we'll call them witnesses I, I guess that's a good word for them. 
uh, the witnesses, uh, the people involved in the, in the erection of the monument and the construction, and and that you know the the banker, the, the uh, everybody. It, it, they they were really to me. Um, again, your depiction just now, your verbal uh, description, as uh, what would you what would you call it? Just kind of like a. Um, no big deal. The guy's eccentric, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do it. But the ramifications—they had no, no, no real clue of the ramifications of what they were building or what they were erecting there in their county. It's yeah, it, it, it was it was uh, it was either another job for them, you know, for for the guys who did the actual work, and. Others saw it as an opportunity to put this small town in Georgia, Elberton, uh, to put it on the map and to and to hopefully bring in tourism, to give people a reason to come to their city and stay in their hotels, eat in their restaurants, and that kind of thing, and just uh, just boost the economy and the interest of Elberton, and and that was their that was really kind of the the their reason for being involved with it overall all of the guys who were in some kind of a leadership role they all said the same thing they wanted to see their small town uh get on the map somehow and to you know to to be a point of interest to give people a reason to go there um, hmm. because it's known as the uh, the granite capital of the world right so that's what they say but but apparently the granite industry is not as booming as it once was so uh, that was their that was their whole interest. But the people there are very very nice people. Um, Wyatt Martin, who's the one man who knows the true identity of R.C. Christian, we interviewed him, and he's a very very endearing um, fellow, and he had a lot of very interesting things to say about R.C. Christian. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was the most startling aspect of it. Was you okay. go there with these expectations that there's sort of you know, if you read enough articles on this, you 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 think that pe- the people involved, and I I would say overall, in my research, because in my other films, if you watch my Secret Mysteries series, uh, I go and interview people who are Freemasons, who are some of the leading Freemasons in America, who speak like on the History Channel, who are with the uh, uh, with the Grand Lodge in Washington D.C. and so on. Um, we interview some of those guys. I interviewed uh, uh, one of the leading experts on the Great Seal of the United States, um, the one that appears on the back of the dollar bill with the all-seeing eye, uh, Dr. Uh, of the Bob Phoenix. Hieronymus. Yeah, Eye of the Phoenix. Phoenix. I got to tell you, a Telly Award winner and quoted among the best film, uh, best in film and video productions. Um, Chris on, and Honey, if you're listening, okay. Eye of the Phoenix. Make sure you get that one too. Okay, but uh, I'm serious, man. This uh, to me, well, even the reviews, mind blowing, and absolute must see for anyone who cares about our country and our future. And the key there to me is our future, because all of this, all, everything we're talking about, whether it was 1979, the Georgia Guidestones, or whatever, it's it's about what we're seeing take place today and uh, unraveling and well being played out. And and I mean, you you are. You're at the tip of the spear on this as an investigative uh, journalist, reporter, and filmmaker. I, I've got to say, uh, I cannot speak more highly of, of, of you than that. I just really believe you're, um, 
You're really at the tip of the spear on this. Now that I interrupted you, I didn't mean to. Uh, no, no, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did, and and you're very kind, brother. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'll tell you, but you know, we have, and, and the education. See, a lot of people, um, and, and I, I love history, and Joe does too, and we do a lot of research, and we we try to infuse historical. You know, we, we in order to know where we're headed, basically, we need to look at where we've been, and who the you know who um, really kind of brewed this up. We're in this cauldron of of evil right now. And part of this is to understand how we got here and who put us here and who is facilitating us along the way. Uh, and, and I've got, uh, so we're getting inundated with, with all sorts of email, uh, questions for you and all this about the Georgia Guidestones. But I think this is even more important. This interview is more important than merely the Georgia Guidestones. This is about what's happening today. And, uh, and folks, or, or, definitely go, go to adullamfilms.com and, 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 Man, you got to see the Georgia guy. You got to see the dark clouds over Elberton. But if I can ask you this, um, because I know pretty soon we're going to run out of time, and I, I want to, I just want to get your take on the current current day. And if we can, if you can weigh in during the break, we were talking about something that Joe and I Joe mentioned last week, and apparently I don't know. I just I must have had a kind of my a brain, you know. Shut yeah, this off. was something uh, Newt Gingrich said. Uh, when in regards to Trump on a Fox News interview where he mentioned that, you know, Donald Trump, what worried the insider so much and the, the globalist so much was he was an uninitiated. Yeah, he was not, not a member of the secret societies. So if you can speak on the effect of the secret societies past, present, and perhaps even into the future, or however you want to approach that, because I think this is so important, because, again, we're looking at historical things, and, and you know, conspiracies exist. These societies exist. It doesn't care. Nobody cares if we believe in them. They believe in it, and they're laughing at us because we we're, we're, everything's right right in front of us. Yet we're not seeing it. Go ahead, John. And it's a common thread throughout a lot of your your films. Yeah. So well, that that quote from Newt Gingrich. I've done a couple of radio shows on my site on that uh, for that very reason because uh, I spent years researching these groups, interviewing some of the leading figures. Um, who have been involved with them. Uh, one of the main figures, uh, Manley P. Hall, who's often quoted, who was considered the uh, the most important uh, philosopher for masonry and really for, for, for all things arcane, uh, occult, and mystical in the 20th century. And I used to live in Los Angeles. I lived there for about eight and a half years, and for the first few years I was there, I was in an apartment on Los Feliz Boulevard at the foot of the hill of uh, uh, Griffith's Observatory. And I used to drive past this place every day, didn't realize what it was, but it's called the Philosophical Research Society. And it was actually founded by Manley Hall. And I got to go there at one point, do some filming, show everybody his library, which is full of all of these pagan occult, you know, the Buddha... Uh, uh, a bust that he did of Madam H.P. Blavatsky, another bust that he did of Albert Pike, uh, two of the great New Age philosophers of the 19th and 20th centuries, and uh, and to interview the, the guy who took over for him after he passed away. But the secret societies have been... I mean, they go back centuries for thousands of years. They trace themselves to ancient Egypt, Babylon, Greece, Rome, and really up through Gnosticism. 
in the early centuries. And the Gnostics, in a nutshell, combined their Egyptian mystery pagan religion with Christianity. And they were denounced as heretics. They wrote their false gospels, things like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, etc. But then they were suppressed by the Orthodox churches. And so what happened was, it would appear, uh, they went underground. They became secret. And groups that did this, um, where they, they inwardly believe paganism, they believe all these pagan ideas, what they did was they developed an outer shell for their beliefs uh, that they call the exoteric layer. You have the exoteric and the esoteric. Now, they will admit this. Manley Hall admitted this. I've interviewed Freemasons that will admit this. They'll say that every symbol that they have has at least two meanings, the outer and the inner. And uh, the word occult means that which is hidden. Okay, And that's that inner layer, that inner secret knowledge that they have that they don't want you to know. You have to seek it out. And so these secret groups have been trying to find a way for centuries to overthrow Christianity. Because what happened was when Christianity became the official religion of Western Europe, all those who held to pagan beliefs were effectively outlawed, and then they would be persecuted by the Inquisition. Then even after the Reformation happened, whether they were Protestant governments or Catholic governments, they would not permit people to be openly pagan and to be in things involved in things like witchcraft and occultism and stuff like that. You would be condemned anywhere. So these secret groups, they maintained their secrets. That's why they were secret. But so that they could involve themselves in a Christian society, they developed an outer layer of explanations that sounds Christian so that they could get along with Christian groups and Christian people. This is true of the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, all of these groups. In fact, they will even admit it. Um, And there are some today, you have kind of a competition with the secret societies about whether or not, because you're old school Masons, for example, like Benjamin Franklin was a Freemason, but he never wrote about Masonry, never said a word. And your old school Masons would not reveal anything about their secrets. They wouldn't talk about it. They wouldn't even acknowledge publicly who their members were. There was a time when you did not know where the lodge was. Today, you can drive down the road and see a sign that says there's a Masonic lodge over here. That wasn't always the case. That only began in 1717. Uh, So they were very, very secretive. And today, there are those who say that the need for secrecy is past because Christianity is no longer persecuting pagans, no longer having people arrested for paganism. So you can come out and you can talk about what you believe. But their ultimate aim is the overthrow of Christianity for that reason, because they feel that as pagans they were persecuted by Christians for centuries and suppressed by Christianity. Uh, So this is why the... I think the infiltration and the overthrow of Christianity by by really blending their pagan ideas. This is what we're seeing with the ecumenical movement, where you have this move to say that all 
of the world religions, Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam, etc., are all somehow or other equal to Christianity. That is and has been the inner doctrine of these secret groups for more than a thousand years, if you know how to trace it. That's what you find at Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. We go there in one of our films, uh, Secret Mysteries, The New Atlantis, we go to Rosslyn Chapel. And in Rosslyn, it's a chapel dedicated to St. Matthew, so it is said. But when you go there, it was mentioned in the book, The Da Vinci Code. That's why it became very famous. And we went there, we did filming there and so on. But you have all of these pagan icons. You have the green man there. You have all of these different icons of various pagan religions. And with them, you have, you know, an image of Moses over here, one of the crucifixion, one of the Virgin Mary, etc. But they're all blended together. And here's a chapel that was done back in the 15th century. And so this is this has always been the inner teaching of these secret groups, this idea of blending uh, all of the religions together. And with that, if you trace them, is the idea that man is to be exalted as a god. You know, man is his own god, basically. What they do, the, the, the ancient Gnostics traced, the, the word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, and they trace it back to the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. And they teach, what the Gnostics teach, um, is that God, the creator God, who they call the Demiurge, or the Demiurgos, he was the creator God. They sometimes call him Ialdabaoth. They had all these strange names. But they say that he was actually an evil God who created Adam and Eve. This is what they'll say. And he wanted to be the only God who was worshipped, uh, and he created man really to be as kind of an automaton who didn't really have freedom. But then the angel of light, the serpent, showed up and bid man to be initiated through knowledge by partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so then man's eyes could be opened and he could become as a God. Uh, and so they argue that the God, the creator God, is really an evil God, and in their inner doctrine, what they mean by that, of course, is the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible, is really for them the devil, uh, and Lucifer is really the, the angel of light, the God of light and truth and knowledge. Uh, Madame Blavatsky even developed a phrase for this. She called it demoness deus inversus, the devil is God inverted, where they basically invert God and the devil. That's the great inner doctrine of all these secret groups. It's what they all have in common. Uh, and it's as, why as above, they, so below, perhaps, too? I mean, is, is that as above, that, so below? That or certainly that... feeds into it, certainly, yeah. That's, right. that's okay. part of right. it. Part of it, right. definitely. We, In fact, we, we go into the as above, so below in... Uh, Riddles in Stone, the secret architecture of Washington, D.C. We have a whole section on that because that's the overarching theme behind the architecture of D.C. in many ways. But yes, exactly. It, it all feeds into that, that what they do, their symbols, whether it's the 33rd degree, the Pythagorean theorem, as above, so below, 
the double-headed eagle. Once you study their all their symbols, they're all basically saying the same thing, that man must strive to achieve his own godhood, his own enlightened or perfected state. That's the idea. And, and, and that's the foundation for the New Age movement that we see, you know, where, where we are gods, our own gods, or achieve level of godhood. I, I guess that would be the... Uh, what is that? Apotheosis, or is that? Oh yeah, apotheosis. That, that's the old pagan. That's the old pagan term for you know if you had a, a great man who did great things and he died, his apotheosis would be he would ascend into the heavens and dwell among the gods. Um, hmm. and so okay. that's yeah, that's that's okay. old world well. paganism, but it's it's. Obviously, it's a it's a counterfeit for what we have in Christianity, where you know, we're not God, um, but we're putting our faith in the one true God who is our Creator, and He brings us to salvation. Uh, and of course, that for them, for these secret groups, they're very hostile to that message. They don't like the idea that we need that we of ourselves don't have the ability to save ourselves. And that's one of the interesting aspects of the whole concept of the New World Order. The New World Order is man trying to build paradise on Earth, his own version of paradise, at least for many of these guys. I think some of them may have a more sinister worldview, but when I interviewed some of these guys, that's how they see it. They see they're trying to build the perfected world. But what they have to do to get there is they have to tear down the old system, which they see as generally Christianity in the West. You know, that they have to tear down Christianity. That's why if you look at how they do things, this is what I see. All of this aggression against Christianity, whether it's homosexuality and transgenderism, whether it's militant atheism, whether it's trying to bring in Islam, all of these are things that are hostile to Christian teachings. And they're like adjutants that they use to overturn the Christian standard and to replace it with something else. You see, and that's where I, that's where I would say the, the through line or the tie-in with these secret groups, that's where we see the manifestation of it in our society. And there it is. Folks, there it is. The ultimate connection of dots, in my view. I, I mean, he, here we have our guest tonight, Chris Pinto, adomfilms.com, and noiseofthunderradio.com, both websites. And by the way, um, Mr. Pinto does a radio show. Uh, Chris, uh, and this is a wonderful website with your, uh, with your, uh, uh, your, your podcast, uh, uh, noise of Thunder Radio, for example, yesterday's show, you were talking about what we we just mentioned about Newt Gingrich and Donald Trump and so on, and of course climate change and the New World Order, and you've got uh, so many uh, uh, podcasts here available. I know I'm going to be downloading as many as possible, including the one about Scalia, the Pope, and the Wall, and Trump. But having said all of that, if you want to just tell our audience when uh, your your podcast or when they can hear them, how they can hear them. Uh, give a shout out to you know how how we can tune in. 
Well, you can tune into the podcast. If you can go, if, if you want, you can go to our website at noiseofthunderradio.com, noiseofthunderradio.com. You can listen to it there, uh, and we usually broadcast at least two days a week. I used to do up to five days a week, but then we got very, very busy with filmmaking. We've had three projects, and I'm finishing the second one right now, which is called Bridge to Babylon, and then we've got a third one on the true Christian history of America that's next. But uh, but right now we're doing two to three shows a week uh, at noiseofthunderradio.com, and you can download them there for free on the website. Um, and we also broadcast through the Worldview Weekend site at worldviewweekend.com, and we're a, on a list of podcasts with uh, others like Dr. Erwin Lutzer uh, and so on uh, who broadcast there with... <laughs> Worldview Weekend in Brandon House. So, uh, so those oh, are the two places great. you can go listen to the radio show. And, and each each show is how long, sir? I usually do thirty to thirty to forty five minutes, somewhere in there. It varies, but okay. it's at least half an hour per show. All right. Well, we, we can we can we get a roll of duct tape, bring it to our studios here, and and, and just have you do. Uh, I mean, you're such a wealth of knowledge. I, I could listen. To, I, I mean, you, I just love to. Have, to and I'm, I'm not. This is not false flattery. I'm, I'm hearing everything I'm hearing right now. Uh, and, and guests like yourself, connecting the dots on this, 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 this insidious uh, agenda that we have that's ripping down Christianity, ripping at the moral and, and religious and spiritual, more appropriately, fabric of, of our country. And changing our country into this, uh, this, this unrecognizable morsel of what we once were in order to be subjugated into this one world global governance that everyone says is a conspiracy, but it's happening right before our very eyes. So you've connected so many dots. You really have. Um, and, and folks, again, Chris Pinto, noiseofthunderradio.com and adullamfilms.com. We're just, we're really running through time here, so I want to make sure I, I give you the opportunity to talk about your latest project. Time is always. Well, can I mention great. one thing, brother, before? Yes, sure. Um, just on that, uh, that when you said something, you're talking about how we keep being told that it's a conspiracy. It's just a conspiracy theory when it's happening right before our eyes. Um, I was, uh, because so much of what is affecting us right now is this whole issue of immigration, where they're, they're bringing hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, Muslims into Western Europe. Obama and Hillary want to bring more of them over here into the United States. And this immigration issue is uh, a major issue that the globalists are using to try and overthrow Western civilization, uh, I believe, uh, firmly. But... I stumbled upon a speech that was given back in the 1960s by a British politician named Enoch Powell. And Enoch Powell uh, gave a famous speech called the Rivers of Blood speech. You can go read about it online and whatnot. But it was this back in the 1960s when they were bringing about 50,000 immigrants a year into the U.K., and he was warning that this situation, if this kept up, this, that rivers of blood would flow in Europe as a result. And it was really changing and threatening the dynamics of, uh, of England at that time. And this is back in the 1960s. And he April said... April 20th, 1968. April 20th, 1968. Enoch Powell, you're absolutely right. Go ahead, sir. 
Well, he, he said in that speech, he said that the same newspapers, the same media that were telling everyone that there was nothing to be concerned about with the rise of Hitler and Nazism, he said those same newspapers were then, in 1968 and so on, telling everybody there's nothing to be concerned about with this immigration issue. Nothing to be concerned about. So apparent, So as we know, the media, part of their job is to convince everybody that there's nothing going on, that it's just a silly conspiracy theory, don't be concerned about it, it's xenophobia or Islamophobia or something like that. Um, but look at the devastating impact that it had on Europe to tell the Europeans to lower their guard and not be concerned about the rise of Hitler. I mean, that, I think, led to the uh, the Munich Accord, the False Peace Treaty that was signed uh, by Neville Chamberlain with Adolf Hitler. And he comes home and he says, well, I think it's this is peace for our time. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. He says, oh, don't worry about it. And shortly after, World War II was underway. So that's uh, I, I think we've we've got to keep witnessing. We've got to keep lifting up a shout. Um, as the scripture says, cry aloud and spare not. Uh, tell the people uh, as much as we can, because I think there's no question that the media is trying to lull everybody into into sleep or into complacency. And thank the Lord we've got the Internet, we've got independent radio, and we've got programs like yours, brothers. Um, well, praise you. the Lord. But, 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 you know, why aren't we taking teddy bears and... and uh would they take teddy bears and uh, soccer, uh, balls. soccer balls down to the down to the border to welcome these uh, immigrants in? Because this is a, really a truly a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, my word. Well, we keep but being yet. told that. Uh, yeah. Um, but where where the where the Muslims are concerned, I mean, there there are, you know, there are stories about how these Muslim men, because most of them are men, and they're in their twenties and thirties and whatnot. And there are stories, or at least one story on Breitbart, about how many of these guys abandoned their wives and their kids in the Syrian refugee camps and went into Europe, went into Western Europe. And you you would have thought, well, wait a minute, I thought they were in such desperation. Why aren't they bringing their wives and their kids with them? But they weren't. They They were, for the most part, leaving them behind and going into Western Europe. Um, so it's, uh, I think the, uh, the idea that this is an invasion, that it's, it is something that's being done very deliberately uh, to create this cultural shift and upheaval. And the reason I think it's so significant what's happening over there is because that's exactly what the Democrats and the globalists want to happen in our country. They want to take our country down that path. Um, so I think it's... Uh, but you know what a lot of it goes back to for me? There's a picture during World War II of... And I know we keep going back to Nazism and what went on with the Nazis. But during World <laughs> War II, there's a picture of Adolf Hitler sitting with the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Hitler and the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. There you have National Socialism with Islam. And I believe that the socialists and the Muslims uh, are basically working together to subvert Western society.
society because they both believe in totalitarian government. And I think that's why they're helping each other because they're hoping to take down the free world and turn it into a totalitarian system. That's what I see. You know what, Chris? You're you're so right. And we had uh, um, uh, two, two. When was it? Tuesday? Uh, yesterday? Uh, we had Peter Levend on uh, our program here a day or two ago. I I don't know. They all run together now. But I, the reason I mention that is because we were talking about the Grand Mufti and Hitler and about how Islam was weaponized by the Nazis and and how we're seeing this replay over again, or we saw it replay. Uh, the weaponization of Islam by the globalist Zygana Brzezinski in Afghanistan or for Afghanistan to drag, you know, against the Russians and uh, this three-dimensional chess game at play here. Now we're seeing, um, I believe, what, what I believe to be the um, part, well, the almost the epilogue of a greater, uh, of the greater design here. And I think you hit it right on the head. This alien invasion is part and parcel to ripping out our our moral, cultural, and and Judeo-Christian roots of this country, and they need to do that in order to to uh, uh, to really subjugate us to a this global governance, which is their recreation of the Tower of Babel. You know, basically uh, mm-hmm. the un- unfinished work of Nimrod. Nimrod, and you know, I know you touch on this, or I know you, you address this uh, in in many areas, but uh, yeah. So thank you for for you know talking about this and it, people just don't get it i mean many people just don't get it i know our audience does and i'm sure people listen to you they get it but man well I mean, it's, it's just it's unfolding more and more and it uh, when i saw that interview with newt gingrich and he was talking about trump and he says trump hasn't been initiated into the secret society i thought wow are they just putting it all out on the table now you know uh they're, they seem to be more and more forward um, in terms of talking about these things, although I guess it's just becoming more and more apparent to people. I think it's why people are so up in arms in this election cycle, and they're, a lot of conservatives and Christians and evangelicals were hoping that the Republican Party would be able to do more than they've done. Uh, I point to a news article that was published by the Boston Globe and. Uh, right before it was I think it was in October of 2014 right before the midterm election to bring in the Republicans where they took over the House and the Senate and the Boston Globe published an article and the headline said vote all you want the secret government won't change that's what they said it was based on a university study that there are hidden powers behind the scenes that are pulling the strings, and it doesn't really matter what the people vote for or who they vote for. And then all that turned out to be true when the Republican Congress came in and effectively changed virtually nothing from Obama's socialist agenda. It didn't change at all. Um, okay, i got to stop you right there, because you just kind of really blew my mind here. Vote all you want. Uh, say that again, because I, I want to really make sure people heard this yeah, the the headline from the Boston Globe was "Vote all you want, the secret government won't change." Huh. And that was when? Uh, what it year? Was, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure October of 2014. October of 2014. 
Boston Globe. Man. Okay. That that's that's chilling. I mean, so outright in your face, overt. This is the way it is. Chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and here we are, really, two a year and a half later, and, and it's so apparent. And that's why, and and I believe, regardless of what one thinks of Trump, it doesn't matter to me. In in the context of this discussion, what one thinks of Trump, Donald Trump, but when you look at what he is, what he represents to the establishment, the threat that he poses, or the ostensible alleged threat that he poses, or is perceived, then then we've got, well, uh, I mean, obviously you we can't the the, the powers behind the the faces can't have him in there, or anyone like him in there. Could they? Yeah, if if Trump is genuine, and and I I uh, I preface it that way, if Trump is genuine, not that I necessarily have any reason to think he's not, but if he's genuine, he seems to be a a wrecking ball, threatening some key areas of the globalist agenda. One is the illegal immigration situation down at the southern border uh, with Mexico. That's a that's a hot button issue. I think another hot button issue is the the area of of trade and and economy. Uh, I have I'm not an economic expert by any means, but I have read stories and accounts and articles for years. I've heard people say that the the socialists are deliberately trying to crash our economy so that they can turn us into a different economic system entirely. That they, that they want this. They don't want to pay off the debt. They don't want the situation to get better. Um, and if that's true, and Trump is really sincere, and he's he's saying they're they're making all of these bad trade deals where everybody else wins and we seem to lose, well, that would fit in with what people have been concerned about for many years. And if Trump wants to turn that whole thing around, turn our economy around, uh, stop the uh, stop the illegals from coming in and flooding the system, and put a stop to the uh, Muslim migration into America. Those are three very important areas that the globalists want and need to continue their subversion of America. And so Trump, it appears, it appears, if all is as it seems, it appears he's getting in the way of that. And uh, I and and then you have this quote from Newt Gingrich, where Gingrich says, you know, O'Reilly says, why don't they like him? And they say, well, he's not part of the club. He hasn't been initiated into the secret society. <laughs> you know, he's not one of them. Uh, and it makes sense. It, it makes sense. But it you said uh, you said something when we were talking the other day, brother. You said uh, that you're cautiously optimistic about, you know, potential changes in the future, and that has become kind of my view. I like to have an optimistic view as much as possible, in spite of knowing all these things are going on. But I think I think as Christians especially, well, we've got to look to the Lord. The Bible tells us, cursed is the man who trusts in man, but blessed is that man whose hope the Lord is. So we've got to keep our uh, faith toward God and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust that all things work together for good to those who love Him. Um, but where our country is concerned, I think being cautiously optimistic is not necessarily a bad thing. 
Yeah, what Gingrich said does make sense. The only thing that doesn't make sense to me is him coming out on TV and saying something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, and we have a tendency, I have a tendency to overanalyze things sometimes, but... Um, well, I, I call that the paralysis of analysis. We, we Any investigator who's done any investigations in the field, we do have a tendency to look at things from... Um, and sometimes get paralyzed by our analysis of just sometimes a cigar is just a cigar on the other hand um and pardon that reference but uh on the other hand there's there's sometimes there's more to it than that of course but you know all of this seems to be there's art bell used the term once and wrote a book by the same name the quickening gotta tell you man we're we're into this uh to me this acceleration period and uh i i don't know um I don't know. It just seems like right now we're—I mean—the the, the pedal is to the metal, and we are really headed uh, in a, a breakneck speed here to wherever our destination might be. I don't know. Uh, before the end of the program, we only have—I can't believe it's like four minutes left. Please talk about your uh, your your new project, your latest project, and tell people about that because I'm sure you're going to get a lot of questions about that. Well, we we are uh, we're in the process of finishing up our uh, soon to be released film called Bridge to Babylon, uh, and it's called uh, Bridge to Babylon: Rome, Ecumenism, and the Bible, and it's actually the third part of a series that we've been developing for years on the history of the Bible. We did part one called A Lamp in the Dark: The Untold History of the Bible, and then part two was called Tears Among the Wheat. Uh, where we trace the history up through the 19th century. And then part three deals with um, the Bible in modern times and the role of the Vatican uh, and the ecumenical movement and Bridge to Babylon, how the ecumenical movement is really trying to take people back toward Rome, but then Rome in particular with the Vatican uh, Rome is pursuing two different types of ecumenism. One, ecumenism where she seeks to unite all of the various Christian groups, the professing Christian denominations. But then two, uh, you have uh, things like uh, Pope John Paul II and back in 1986 met with all these leaders of various world religions with Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam, etc., and joined hands with them and said, we're all praying to the same God. So the two two stages of ecumenism, uniting the Christian groups and then trying to unite the Christian groups with all the pagan religions of the world and how that history is unfolding and how the Bible is at points manipulated in that direction. So that's, that's sort of in a nutshell what we talk about in Part 3, Bridge to Babylon. Pre-sale right now on your website. Yeah, people uh-huh. can people can pre-order it at adullamfilms.com. It's not completely finished right now, but we expect to have it done in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be shipping out copies from there. But we let people know that on the site. Fantastic. And you've got tremendous uh, package deals on your website as well. Your research, what I, what I like to call the investigative research product, the product that you research, and your presentation, just fabulous in, in the videos that I've seen, uh, both, uh, the, we know what's available out there in the open source as well as, of course, the, 
the proprietary videos that you do sell. Well worth the money, well worth the time. And uh, I'm just so excited to, to get my, you know, sink, sink our teeth that uh, we are into uh, some of the other video DVDs that you have. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, God bless you. Thank you for being at the tip of the investigative spear on all things historical, well, past, present, and, of course, future. I just want to say thank you for your time, your generous gift of time to us tonight. Well, thank you for having me, brother, and it's been good to talk to both of you guys, and God bless you and, and your ministry. And the same to you, and we do hope that you'll come back with us again when your when time permits, when your schedule permits, to talk more about, uh, well, your latest video and uh, and other topics, because you are a well-rounded, very well, well-rounded, well-grounded investigative researcher, and I thank you so much for, for uh, being on the same side. I'm glad we're on the same side, by the way. Amen. So, Definitely. All right. Definitely. God bless you. All right. God bless you too, brother. Good night, sir. Folks, that was Christian Pinto. Uh, his website, adullamfilms.com. That's A-D-U-L-L-A-M films.com. And then an interview doesn't yeah. want to make you go and watch some more of his movies. I mean, oh, we've man, only watched yeah. the one, and now I'm, I'm ready to go get them all, uh, especially well, reading through some of these descriptions and... It, Eric just way. held up a paper. Uh, my wife did order for the studio a couple of well, a couple of things we'll tell you about later. But uh, so at least we, well, not at least but we've got some we've got some homework to do. So what a great guest! Yeah, and definitely looking forward to reading and looking into some of the things on the site and the Babylon Bridge to Babylon and the hidden faith of the founding fathers. Just something I want to check out myself. Folks, God bless each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your kind support, your prayers. We'll be back tomorrow. Amen. All right. This is the Global Star Radio Network.